Sup freaks. It's Uncle Marty here to introduce episode 385 of TFTC. Sat back down with the salty bald professor Dave Collum from Cornell University. Talk about his 2022 year in review. As always, meandering conversation, hitting on some pretty heavy topics, no holds barred, no filter. Probably won't be allowed on YouTube. If it is on YouTube, a few freaks are listening to this on YouTube. It's probably been uh, severely redacted. Podcast feeds are getting everything. If you're enjoying this, right? You want to participate via podcasting 2.0, the value for value model. You want to support us directly. If you're getting value out of the show, the conversations, if you're getting the entertainment, which brings you value, you can download apps like Fountain, Breeze, Podverse, Albi, Echo. And you can participate. You can send us sats if you're liking what we're saying. I actually talk a lot about the podcasting 2.0 model with Dave in this episode. I think it might have piqued his interest a little bit, actually, too. I've been trying to get him for years to, to buy Bitcoin, but he's an old salty gold bug. Here are the top four boosts from RIP384. Nostra got 1.4 billion sats from Jack Dorsey and banned from Twitter with JP55. At Eric99, 50,000 sats. Rip in and rip out, supporter. Stay humble, stack sats. Garth, 20,000 sats. Feel parentally obligated now. Thanks, Garth. B-Glass, 7,667 sats. No message. At Wolf Bear Claw, 5,000 sats. No message. Thank you all for contributing to the show, for boosting us, for streaming sats. We truly enjoy it. Enjoy it. Appreciate it. We're thankful. That's what I meant. It is does bring joy too. I do enjoy it. I know that you guys are getting something that brings a little tinkle. Tinkle? Tingle. I didn't pee my pants. A tingle in my tummy. Not a tinkle. Dave may have, tink Dave may have tinkled a couple times during this, but we don't know. We just know that he keeps pee bottles around. This rip was brought to you. New sponsor. Premier sponsor of TFTC. River. River.com. Are you looking to stack sats? Are you worried that the person or the company that you're using to stack sats doesn't actually control their infrastructure? Are you worried that they're not focused on Bitcoin and they're distracted by the shitcoin casino? Are you worried that they're not true Bitcoiners? Well, at river.com, you don't have to worry because it's an exchange built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners and they want to help you stack sats. At river.com, there's no fees when you DCA. So if you set a DCA, you set it and forget it, DCA, no fees. Because you know it's the best way to buy Bitcoin for the long-term hodler. It built its own infrastructure. It's not depending on any third parties for its Bitcoin infrastructure. They built their own wallets. They built their own lightning infrastructure. They run lightning nodes. If you keep your coins on River, if you shouldn't, you should move them to self-custody. River would encourage you to do that. But if you have them on the exchange, you know they're held in multi-sig storage with 100% full reserves. River doesn't use or lend your Bitcoin. There's no funny business, no bullshit. They're just Bitcoiners looking to build products that other Bitcoiners want. A way to access Bitcoin securely. Being an on-ramp or an off-ramp, you're off-ramping off fiat. Is what Bitcoiners want. It's what I want. I've been a River user for years. It's... Uh, buying Bitcoin for companies that I run. I use River 
I'm ex- need to liquidate some Bitcoin. Uh, for, for if run a business here, need some cash. Get Bitcoin and receipt. Need some cash. I, get, I use River for that. Hurts to do it, but River is there for you to do it. And I trust these guys because they're Bitcoiners first. They have a long history of encouraging self custody, like I mentioned. And so do I. Do it. Move the Bitcoin off of River into a wallet that you control. You can mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. You can make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network. And if you're a developer, you can now use River's Lightning services to connect to the Lightning Network. They built an API. It's going to blow up this year. So you have your place to buy Bitcoin and you're used to it and it's not River. Have you tried River yet? It's where all the Bitcoiners are now going. We've, we've learned in 2022 that people distracted, people taking risk with your Bitcoin can lose your Bitcoin. River's keeping it simple, stupid. Building infrastructure, protecting your Bitcoin. So go see why at river.com or on the River iOS app. If you want to support the show, you can go to river.com slash TFTC. Triple check, make sure that. Yeah, river.com slash TFTC. This rip is also brought to you by good friends at Down the Hall, Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. Uh, eliminate trusted third parties. This plays out in their vault product. It's a two or three multi-sig account where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. Since you have two keys, you always have control of your Bitcoin. And you can move it whenever you see fit. If you're ever in a pinch, you need Unchained to be the second and two or three, they're there for you. Collaborative custody is what it's called. Their Vault product. They have a concierge team that's going to take you from zero to having this set up. So if you're a company or an individual that's looking to secure your own Bitcoin, hold your own keys, but you also want a little bit of collaboration, some help from a company that you trust, Unchained is here to do that. They'll get you hardware wallets. They'll get you set up. They have a concierge team that's going to get you comfortable, explain everything to you. Go to unchained.com slash concierge use the code tftc at checkout you get 50 dollars off their concierge service take control of your keys maybe you move it from river to a two or three multi-sig vault it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing this rip was also brought to you by good friends at crowd health crowd health is here to help you change the way you approach healthcare cost if you're an individual who doesn't like the healthcare industry doesn't like health insurance more particularly how expensive it is how opaque it is how impersonal it is crowd health is here to change that model it's not health insurance but it's a better way to pay for your health care what you do is you pay a monthly fee you go to join crowdhealth.com slash tftc use the code tfcc your first six months of fees are going to be 99 dollars a month what will happen you'll pay that 99 we'll go into a bank account that's dedicated to you in your account. You build that up over time. You always have control over it. If you ever want to leave crowd health, you can take that money with you. If you ever have a health event and you need to go to a doctor, you go to the doctor, you get the bill, you bring it back to crowd health. They go back to the doctor and negotiate the bill lower for you. If you work to get prices lower because they're incentivized to do so. Uh, and they can do this because doctors like the fact that they get paid out in cash immediately via crowd health. They don't have to wait for the health insurance company to do all their their ledger stuff to get paid out. You pay the first $500 of your bill, and anything over that gets crowd-funded by the crowd health community. Uh, they have 
of bills to date have been paid. And uh, the way it works is if you're paying for somebody else's bill, you're crying, you're helping fund somebody else's healthcare bill, you get a score, uh, a positive score. And they have the scoring system where you're incentivized to, to actually participate in funding other crowd health members bills because uh, you'll have to score that people people say like oh man he's not he's not helping people how you don't want to be that person and it's a group of healthy people too as michael malice says there's no fatties in crowd health so go to joincrowdhealth.com slash tftc use the code tftc at checkout get 99 dollars a month for the first six months and enjoy this rip with my good friend salty ball dave collin You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Sorry, I'm going to cough the whole fucking way. Hey, it's okay. We're live now, so everybody who's listening just got the warning. Beware. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to be hacking up phlegm balls, and I'll try not to hit the camera lens so that it becomes a big blur. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I already did. Yeah, you're hawking loogies on the camera. Hawking loogies on the camera. Great way to begin the year. Sick. Children, they're little viral bombs. Yeah. Yeah, the grandchildren. We should point that out. So whenever they visit, um, I end up fucked up. My wife ends up fucked up. Since we last talked, my wife managed to break her neck. Um, slept, fell, smacked. She hit the floor so hard that there was a big strawberry on her head that was the pattern of the bath towel, the bath mat. Oh, shit. And so she really... Un, un, unprotected fall straight to the forehead. And uh, it's the second time she's broken her neck on a, on a flub. And so it's, it's like, holy shit, are you going to keep breaking your neck the whole way? And Is she okay I now? took her in because I, uh, she's got all functions. She's got a bit of a headache that won't go away. So she, she has some traumatic brain injury. I mean, there's, I, I can see cognition issues. Mm. Um, but it, it's healing. I think she'll end up okay in the end. My mother, who had osteoporosis, was very feeble, did exactly the same thing. She slipped and, and did a hatter into a big solid piece of furniture, snapped her neck right on the spot, died immediately, instantly, no blood. Big gash, no blood. Oh, that's how your mother died? Holy shit. So the broken necks are in the family. So they should be investigating me, right? They should, <laughs> they, there's some, there's some, some pattern here. And you know, when you go to the hospital, they ask you, they ask you, do you feel safe at home? And I, my standard answer used to be when I was sitting there, <clears throat> I used to say, you know, I'm sitting right here, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're asking her in front of the guy who, if someone's beating her, it's probably me. And they go, yeah, we got to ask. And then, and then this, this time I said, look at her. Does she look like she's safe at home? <laughs> I mean, holy cow. She's got, a, she's got a broken fucking neck. It's, but it's not for me. It's the home. The home is the dangerous part. 
Well, she just, she's not situationally aware. Mm -hmm. So I, I see setups for problems all the time. Like I can hear the dogs coming. And, I, and for me, I'm saying, okay, brace your knees because one of them could hit, hit you from behind, knock you flat or something. And she just doesn't hear it. She just, it doesn't register to her. And so I, I can see this slow-mo setup for a disaster. And then she uh, uh, got up tearing up from all the, uh, all the Fleming shit. Um, so it's a little problematic. Yeah, it's funny. I have that issue with my three-year-old too. I can see, I see setups for cataclysmic events that are going to make him ball his eyes out, try to warn him. The, the ability to react is not there well, yet. Well, I've described this to men and women as women try to stop it. And men say, oh, that's going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of, and so we had a lot of kook slams down the shore this summer in the ocean. I was saying, Ooh, yeah, he's going to, he's going to wash ashore there. But yeah. It's been a year. When did this happen? Um, about a month ago. Oh shit, that's not good time. I've been for you. sick from about a week ago. And you know, for all I know, I have COVID. I don't know. I I didn't bother to take ivermectin. No, I I wasn't. No, I wasn't showing enough signs of really sucking gas. Problem is, by the time you're really sucking gas, the ivermectin is not going to do any good. But I've taken it before. I got COVID about a month and a half ago. I I, I got it pretty recently. Did you um, get tested? I didn't bother. No, I did not. But my wife and I got it simultaneously, and she tested positive. So I figured, well, I'm testing by proxy then. Um, yeah. So COVID's here to stay. One of the uh, hot, hot COVID stories out there that's been filling my email box, and then I sent it off to a biochem friend of mine who says, well, you know, it's not clear, that sort of thing, is the claim that there's, a, there's evidence that the uh, – the third booster um, destroys part of your immune system. The first one doesn't do anything detectable. Second one, there's a big delay, and then all of a sudden there's this rise in what's called an antibody, but it's a, it has an unusual function. It's IgG4, and it uh, and it's actually designed to make to tell your body not to overreact. So, for example, if you do snake venom and you you inject yourself with snake venom, you're you're triggering the IgG4. Mm -hmm. to tell your body, okay, don't have a hyper allergic reaction to the snake venom. And, uh, and then after a while you become independent of the snake venom. So if a snake gets you, you're not going to die. Um, so this IgG4 antibody, um, after the third boost, it, it, it apparently this, uh, this, this, this IgG4 antibody increases something like, uh, 2,500 fold. No shit. So and third so boost, fifth shot? Third third shot. Third shot? Third jab. Okay. So, um, and, and the claim is that now you have no first line of defense against the, the disease. Disease walks right through the front door. Your body doesn't see it. I think down the road, there's a defense. I think beyond the IgG4, beyond that first, that wall of defense that your body says anything that's not part of your system, attack. <clears throat> well, now COVID walks in and your body doesn't recognize it right away. So you're creating more and more virus and there's no defense. So what happens is you're, you're asymptomatic because the symptomatic, most of the ailments you get, 
you become symptomatic. It's your you're you're feeling the suffering caused by your immune system battling the thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think a lot of the infections and stuff would be much more silent if your immune system wasn't responding. You might eventually die from them, but but the inflammation and all that stuff wouldn't be there. And I had a genetics major about 45 years ago, and it's not it's not holding up well, right? It's a little old and a little forgotten, but uh, but I can kind of pseudo talk about it. And so um, I'm not convinced this is absolutely guaranteed proof now, but some very high level guys are saying it's true. So now you become a typhoid Mary. Now you get sick, you're spewing out virus, you don't even know it. You don't even know you're not coughing or anything. And um, it's not good. And, uh, and then presumably you start getting sick. But, yeah. But um, did you catch the uh, the Brett Weinstein, Joe Rogan, or clips from it from earlier this week? What this week? No, yes, I didn't. It's from earlier this week. I mean, they were going over the stat that Fauci, Biden, and Walensky and all them spew out there, which is that the vaccine has saved three million lives. Which hey, that's crap. Yeah, it that's turns crap. out to be that's what they dove into. They're like, this is complete bullshit. They based this. I think it's the reverse. Actually, it might be the reverse. Actually, <laughs> that's the conclusion that Brett came to. Is that is actually a net negative, and it's probably caused more deaths than would have otherwise happened. Um, the three million. And certainly, the lockdowns caused a bunch too. So, so the the whole if we had just ignored it and treated it like the flu, there would be less dead people. There would be less seven year olds who still don't know how to read. You know, there's, there'd be all sorts of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's... There'd be Indian kids who can roll their R's rather than now they can't, you know, whatever, you know, that's, who knows? Well, that's, I mean, that's a scary thing. I mean, you mentioned third, third shot, third jab, destroying immune systems. I mean, that's one of the theories out there is that these shots after a certain amount of them are giving people AIDS, literally, uh, it's destroying their, their immune system. And that's where, when you come back to Fauci too, that's one thing I dove into in the last year is the, the history of Fauci and the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and 90s. Well, did you read Anthony Fauci? Did you read the book? Yes, yeah. I listened to it actually. It, it, it's, it's, so did I. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. I, I, you know, I've told so many people on social media to read it and I've never once had one say, you know, I started and it just seemed like crap and I quit or anything like that. I've had people say, look, I'm a hundred pages in and, and I'm already convinced we should get a rope and hang the bastard. Yeah. And it was, I mean, back so. then too, it was, he was creating a solution to a problem that was probably misdiagnosed in the first place. Uh, right. Like the popper scene was destroying immune systems. That's right. When he went there, when Kennedy went to the AIDS story that deep, I'm sitting there I'm going, wait, don't go there. Don't go there. You're going to you're going to undermine your case. But he did a very good job. So for a guy to come out and say, look, it, it, HIV may not be the cause of AIDS. You better come armed to the teeth with data. But he, he did come armed to the teeth with data. Yeah. And, uh, and so so for those who haven't read this, HIV is a retrovirus and they were stunned all the virologists were stunned that a retrovirus could be that lethal. It just didn't make any sense. And we have like 100,000 retroviruses in our body. They've been around since eternity. They're, they're really symbiotic organisms almost, right? And, um, 
And, and then at some point, as you recall, but your audience might not, um, at some point, they isolated another virus that looked like a real killer. And Fauci shut down all the funding to it because he had hung his career on the HIV um, AIDS connection. And the, the really insidious things is that um, you recall how awful the AZT clinical trials were run. By the way, a good follow-up book to that is uh, Sickening by John Abramson. I haven't read that one yet. That's a good one because um, it's clear that Kennedy hates Fauci with every ounce of his being, um, <laughs> which, which you totally, if you read the book, you'll totally understand why. But, um, but um, Abramson is much more sterile and he just describes the complete collapse of the clinical trial system and, and how it's just the whole thing is just a big farce. Well, that's, I mean, going back to AZT, AIDS epidemic, the mRNA vaccines, this pandemic, like, there's a lot of similarities, like echoes, like in the same right. individual right. Fauci's in the middle, like AZT was making people sicker, was destroying immune systems. There's a lot and of they evidence. were blaming AIDS for it. Yeah. Yes. And then fast forward, you have <laughs> the, the jabs that, I mean, data's coming. They're not admitting it yet, but it seems that after a certain amount, it's hurting people's immune systems and leading to excess deaths. I mean, if you look into the insurance data that Ed Dowd's digging into, and if you look at excess deaths right. in Europe, they're orders of magnitude higher than the mean historically. And it's just odd that... The number of dead athletes is up 50x. Yeah. And then the same thing, right. go back to clinical trials. You had the Pfizer representative admitting in Congress right. that they didn't they didn't test for whether or not this would actually prevent spread of the disease, which is the narrative they ran with. It's insane. Well, oddly enough, you knew that was true because there was not enough time for them to no. have done it. Right. But then they, they lie their asses off. They lie about, they say, you'll be free, good to go. You won't get, you won't get COVID. You won't spread COVID. They were completely fabricating that story. The fact that they didn't have that data, I think, is forgivable. The fact that they pretended like they knew the answer is unforgivable. And then, um, and then, uh, um, you know, giving the, the vaccine to pregnant women, what kind of crazy bullshit move is that, right? So, I, you know, okay, here's the question. Is this just arrogance and narcissism gone wild? Or are these guys really trying to kill us? That's the big question. It's, it's really, there's a, there's a cliff that you go off. And, and by the way, most of the, the prominent anti-vaxxers, I think, have gone off that cliff. I think most of them, the McCulloughs, the Malones, they might not be saying it, but I think most of them think that it is some sort of very dark plot. Some depopulation campaign. Yeah, some depopulation campaign. And people getting rich in the process. Um, do you think the majority of the population now gets it, or are we just so Twitter centric that that you know you can't be on Twitter without hearing this crap, right? No, I think I think in the public outside of Twitter, maybe deep down they get it, but I do think there's a sunk cost fallacy at play where they don't want to yes, admit to exactly. themselves. Exactly, they don't want exactly. to admit to themselves that they were duped. I know, I know. I asked a uh, physician's assistant in my GP's office um, 
are you getting any weird diagnoses in your office, weird severity or weird frequency? And she sort of paused. Now, I did a little math, and I got to figure this chick probably sees 10 patients a day, call it 250 days, right? She's seen 2,500 patients in 2022, right? <clears throat> and she pauses, and then it's clear that she's just dying to tell me. And she said, yeah, we're seeing way more shingles, way more in-office diagnosed cancers, and way more, um, way more cardiac problems. And I said, are other people in the office seeing it? And she says, I just don't know. No one's talking about it. There's just no discussion about it. It's just there. It's the elephant in the room. It's the classic elephant in the room. You know, if, if her boss, her, the docs, found out she told me that, she'd be fired. Yeah. Right? I mean, you had the, um, I forget where it was. I think it was Minneapolis or something, but you had one doctor either at a hospital who decided to dig into the VARES data and actually dedicated her job within the hospital to actually write VARES reports to send it. And she wound up getting fired for bringing it up and be like, hey, something's something's going wrong here. The amount of patients so, that we give So I, I have this. So there's people who I firmly believe should be taken to the Hague, tried, convicted, and hung from the neck until dead. There's that groups I can identify countless hundreds potentially. I don't know what to do with med. I don't know how what I think about what should be done with the medical establishment that did that. Right, because I've seen it firsthand. I mean, you mentioned pregnant women. My wife was pregnant. We had our second child in June of last year, last year, 2022. So she's pregnant like the back end of 2021, first half of 2022. When we first went to like a, a gyno appointment. Okay. The Boston Terrier visit. Oh, what's up, dude? But my wife and I right were, were, when we said that, we were asked, are you, are you vaccinated for COVID? We said, no, we were pressured twice. And then once, two times in a row, we're like, no, we're not doing it. Then they stopped. But then, um, Later that year, in 2022, I had to take my oldest son to a pediatrician appointment. And it was the first time we went there, last time we went there also. But she she began questioning us. Like she, we were there for an appointment for our son. And she asked my wife and I if we were vaccinated for COVID. And we said no. And it was crazy. The tenor of the conversation and her whole mood shifted. And she actually started. So she's just an idiot. She's just an idiot. Yeah. And she started. Right, she started she treating our. Son, she started treating our son like negatively, which was right. Our two-year-old son. So, she, so she has read nothing. So the first fact that she should find is that there's there's almost no documented case of a healthy kid dying from COVID. So there's no reason whatsoever to vaccinate the kid. None, zero. And there's a million reasons not to. So um, I know I look like, you know, some James Bond character with my cat, but it suits you well. I can control. I can. can yeah, I know. I know. I can control her up here more than if she's on my lap. Yeah. Um, and I can't keep her off my lap. Yeah. So what do you think it is with the medical establishment? You think these people just aren't doing research? I don't know. Are they part of a sunk cost uh, fallacy? Like they don't want to come to grips with the fact that they really push this. I don't know. I, I was talking to a friend of the family 
couple weeks ago, and she comes strutting in my house with a mask on. <sighs> and even the authorities are now saying masks didn't do anything. The White House medical advisor said they do nothing. They do nothing. Lena Wen, CNN, they do nothing. They're facial decorations. So even the psychopaths are admitting the masks achieve nothing. And we knew that before COVID because they had done some like 30 clinical studies before COVID on flu epidemics and found there was no evidence masking does anything. In John Barry's 2005 book, The Great Influenza, he said masks did nothing. And so, so, um, so how could they be so ignorant? Because once I learned that, and you know, it's like the six foot distance, the six foot distance comes from someone who actually said you can kind of measure it's about three feet. So they just doubled it. They just made shit up. Burks is a moron. Fauci's a brain dead. Was at one point was smart, but now he's a brain dead bureaucrat. I don't. I mean, and, uh, I think he's more nefarious than that personally. Oh, he's a dark bastard. Yeah. Yeah, so Fauci's, but here's what, I, I got into it with Chris Irons. And I brought up the example of Fauci doing clinical trials of various drugs on inner city foster kids. And and when the kids realized that drugs were making them sick and they'd refuse to take the drugs, they'd shove, it they'd shove feeding tubes down their throat. They'd force feed them the drugs. And there's nothing more dastardly than that because there's no one who's more vulnerable than an inner city foster kid. And Chris kept saying, well, they, they wouldn't do that. And I go, what do you mean they did? He says, but what adults signed off? I said, Fauci. And they said, no, the, the adults overseeing the kids. I said, inner city foster kids. You got foster parents who are just collecting a hundred bucks a month or a hundred bucks a week. They don't give a shit about these kids. These kids are easy to round up because this is just an extension of welfare checks. Yeah, were they were they getting paid by the trial as well on top of being the foster parents? Probably, yeah, probably. You bribe, you know, the foster mom and you say, yeah. And she said, yeah, he's a little shit. Can't stand the kid. Yeah, go ahead and do the clinical trial. So they, 13,000, number of fatalities. Dr. Mengele is rolling in his grave on this shit. Yeah. Yeah, you can't talk with the tubes in. Yeah, do it. So, uh, yeah, it's all fucked. And that, I mean, so I don't, I don't know what I don't know. We we keep getting forced to a conclusion that seems so preposterous, right? At some level, you go, they can't be that bad, but all the data says, but the data says they're that bad. Everything points to Fauci being a mass murderer. Everything. Do you think anyone could read the real Anthony Fauci and not come to that conclusion? Is that possible? No. No, I mean, my wife, she was one of those people who, like, we listened to it in the car, and she we listened to it for probably an hour, and she said, you, you got to put your headphones in and listen to it yourself. I can't. I can't I, stand it. I can't listen to any more of this. Yeah. Right, I just finished uh, Poisoner in Chief about Sidney Gottlieb and the CIA. And the first 30 minutes of the book, I mean, when World War II ended, we ran over, we not only grabbed the rocket scientists, which made total sense, right? German rocket scientists, of course. We also grabbed all the German doctors who did all the experiments on on on, on Holocaust victims. That's where MK Ultra we came from, it. right? That's right. And, and we grabbed them all up and we gave them 
Uh, we gave them, you know, we gave them sanctuary. Uh, a couple of them were tricky because they were so heinous that getting them cleared to be brought over without getting punished was quite a feat. We brought them in and put them in these CIA operations. These guys told us all the shit they did about freezing people to death to monitor what happened. And our CIA was doing this shit. And so there's no reason to believe that this has stopped. Oh, I mean, so we're here to talk about your 2022 year in review. Is this the longest one you did? It's right. almost 200 pages. No, last year's was 319. Oh, so two thirds of what you went last year. I left about 60 pages on the cutting room floor that were rough draft written. Yeah. Well, I decided I wasn't going to upload it. Why? Because I didn't think people wanted to hear about COVID again. Um, I mean, that's bringing it back to COVID. That's what I worry is that people are just going to let it get swept under the rug and everybody's it, it got will. their eyes in the air. Like, let's just forget about this. And it will, it will. There's no Epstein. Where's Epstein? We're not going to hear about FTX, which we have to get to before this is over. Right. Oh, we definitely will. <clears throat> Especially on this show. Yeah, there's all sorts of, I know there's no way I'd let you off your own podcast without talking about it, but we can talk about it later. Um, and, uh, and so it all gets swept under the rug. And, and I, I, am I naive I to think, my am I naive to think that the collateral damage of excess deaths is going to be too undeniable that it's not going to be as easily swept under the rug as like an Epstein or an FTX where people were. Where it's abstract. Where yeah, it's abstract. Yes. I think it's possible. Um, there's certainly going to be a, anyone who lost a loved one to the vaccine. Anyone who lost a loved one to being intubated to death, anyone who who uh, who lost a loved one to getting remdesivir into oblivion, they, they really should be questioning the story. And even guys like Bhattacharya, who was actually pretty controlled in his view of, in his presentation of the medical community, is getting pretty militant now. And so I, I, I think it'll come out, but it's also one of these things... You know, what are the odds that Oswald was the sole shooter of Kennedy? And the answer is zero, right? I mean, that just came out publicly, right? Right. It's zero. I mean, for one thing, if you go back to the original data, the guy would have had to have been able to shoot better than anyone in history was known to be able to shoot with a bolt-action gun. I mean, it just made no sense. So we know they're still hiding the data. So what? And by the way, as they leak out papers, a, a thousand here, a thousand there. What makes you think they're not modifying those papers? What makes you think the thousand at a time isn't just them creating a thousand new drafts? I mean, they modified all the all the research data. Yeah, yeah. What? What? Why do? Why do you think? That, why, why would anyone think that? that the release of the Warren Commission papers would be done in a way where we actually get the data. Even if they, if they tell us we get it, I don't, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to rig it. Well, so again, that's why like they can't control it to some extent. That's why I'm very thankful for people like Ed Dowd who are diving into other sources of data, particularly life insurance policies 
and really highlight, right. hey, we're having like an 11 Sigma event here in terms of. And it, it, it is that many Sigma. Yeah. It, it, it's a math. It, they said if, the, if it went up 10%, it would be six Sigma. And, and so, and then there's, there's data from Australia, which I think has now disappeared, but of course, screen grabs exist. It was from the Australian national website on birth rate. And this is a trivial thing to keep track of because you go to the hospital, you pop out a kid, you fill out the paperwork, goes into the database, right? This is, this is no brainer stuff. And the Australian birth rate showed no flicker until late 2021. But nine months after the vaccine was released and it started to drop and it went down by the end of 2021, 80%, 80 fucking percent. And I I mean, Germany, that was down like 20%. Norway. It should be down everywhere. should be down everywhere. Except for maybe Sweden where they said, fuck it. Yeah, but that's something... So if we're trying to steal man this, I feel like the birth rate, they'll try to explain away. People were locked down. They weren't having as much sex. The evidence to that is zero. Yes, but they'll use right. it. That's why I think the life insurance claims are are the signal and the data that should be leaned into. I think they're both the signal because, you know, it's like the climate change story where they say, oh, climate change is causing myocarditis, right? I go, no, I don't think so, dudes. <laughs> well, they, they're, they're, they're saying that they're saying that, you know, it's causing car, more car accidents. It's just absurd things. Oh, it's egregious how stupid they think people are. Or maybe how stupid how they stupid know people. people are. Yeah, how stupid yeah. they know people are. That's right. People think that the authorities, like the head of the National Pediatric Society, would never lie. Well, they did. In April of 2021, when vaccinated fetuses were still five months away from coming out to shoot. And, and the head of the pediatric society said, it's safe to get vaccinated if you're pregnant. It's like that Hamlin guy keeled over and all the docs are saying, oh, it has nothing to do with the vaccine. I go, you're lying. You're lying your ass off, you skanky piece of shit. Why are you lying intentionally? You can't possibly, as a cardiologist, believe that you know from looking at the footage, looking at the game films, how that guy died or how that guy collapsed. But they go out there and lie. Is this a soccer because player? They're part... No, this is the football player last Sunday. Oh, oh, Lamar Hamlin. Lamar Hamlin. Yeah. I watched the films. He didn't get hit in the chest. I did freeze frame, watch the films. He got hit in the right part of the shoulder, part of the head, glancing blow, so he turned his body. Nothing near the heart, and certainly nothing where the body took the whole force of the hit. It just rolled right off him. It was a nothing hit. Yeah, and then he stood up after. He stood up and he seemed fine, and then often he just staggered. So I think what the hit probably did is trigger a blood clot. I think the blood clot was probably sitting there waiting, just hanging by its fingernails. And then all of a sudden it said, I'm going to let go now. Yeah. The NFL has come out and said that if you theorize around this, you're spreading medical misinformation. Officially. Yeah. Cause, Cause they're, they're officially liars. Now I would love to go on TV and debate any of those people. 
any of those people. I would go on. I would risk my reputation to sit on that, uh, sit in a, in, a, in a microphone and debate the person because I'd destroy them. I would destroy them. Yeah. And you wonder how many of these players are just staying quiet who are actually very worried about all, all this. All of them. All of them. They all have to know it. Right? There's, there's a, a, according to Tucker Carlson, who's one of the only guys who wanted to say shit, there's a 50-fold increase in collapsing on the athletic field compared to pre-vaccine. Now, I don't know if he's right, but I do know that I'm inclined to believe him more than anyone else. I mean, just perusing the headlines, uh, it does seem like, hey, I don't remember this many athletes falling dead on the field. Well, you know, do you remember kids in high school and gym class keeling over dead? No. No. It's just, it's just do you remember anywhere in the city that you grow up in of that story? Because that would be a headliner. I mean, you hear the one no. off. You hear like the one off high school football player gets the heat stroke, and keels over. That's even rare. That's yes. even extraordinarily rare. In fact, that happened a number of years ago, and they said that's actually the first time someone died from it. I'm not sure heat stroke deaths are are even well documented. Yeah. But on the other hand, the NFL has been lying about concussions as long as they've been lying about concussion. So I did a Twitter poll the other day and said, what are the odds that if, let's say, they trace it to the vaccine that they'll admit it? Now, the reason they won't admit it is, first of all, because of pressure from the authorities, right? The, the deep state, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> so the pressure for them to go, if, if, if some guy goes out and says, this is the vaccine, boy, he's going to, there's going to be hell to pay. And the other, the other thing is, since they made all their players get vaccinated, it would be a disaster. Yeah. So the NFL, the NFL can't admit it. Fauci will never admit that ivermectin works. People will continue to die unnecessarily from a severe flu when they could have taken ivermectin. And so they're mass murderers. I have no patience. I want them tried. I want them convicted. And I will throw the switch. <laughs> that would it? be, you could, you could auction off that right. You get a lot of money. You could. It's. Uh, I'm afraid it's never going to happen, though, which is unfortunate. No, it's never going to happen. Be it's. It's like we still know shit about Epstein. There's too many important people involved. Yeah. What uh? What just happened with that? And was it a, an attorney general out of the Bahamas, tried to? Someone tried to an attorney general in the Bahamas sued J.P. Morgan for their dealing with Epstein and she was jobless within three days. Yeah. I think she was trying to get access to the client book or something like that. Right. She was jobless within three days. I, what would you do if, because of your ignorance, some medical procedure was done to a family member and you realize then it, it killed them? What would your response be? I'd hope that I'd have the temperament to, <laughs> I don't want to say be forgiven. Kill him. Yeah. You know, you no, want I revenge. Wouldn't. No, I don't. I want revenge. Yeah. I want revenge. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't hope, I don't think that the high road is not temperament to forgive. The high road is clean up the swamp. Yeah. Let people know this is not right. And right. Just. Like, like the guy in the Los Angeles police department who declared war against the Los Angeles police department. And he ended up getting killed in the end. What a shock. Right. Oh, we can't let him come out alive. So they burned him in a house. There was this final standoff and they cornered him and they burned the house down. So he died. But I read his manifesto. He wasn't a loner. He wasn't unhappy. He had simply had enough of Los Angeles's corruption. So he wrote this long manifesto, described who were the bad guys, who were the good guys, and then died for it. He did it for us. When was this? About six years ago. I think his name was Chris something. It's in one of my year in reviews. Yeah. No, it's pervasive. I mean, we got, and all of it intertwines too. Like we're talking about the CIA, all these authorities. Are they malicious or simply incompetent? But I mean, touched on your year in review. We just discussed how the NFL mandated for their players. I mean, you had the trucker rally in Canada where people were protesting. Christia Freeland being a Ukrainian Nazi. Yeah. Right. Right? I mean, she's a Ukrainian Nazi. Her grandfather was a buddy with Goebbels. Yeah. What is the, uh, the name of that, that branch of Nazism? They have like a holiday for the guy. Uh, Well, Stepan Bandera is the famous Nazi who they celebrate his birthday. Mm -hmm. And he was fighting Ukrainians and Soviets during World War II with the Germans. And if you go on Twitter, here's the homework assignment, go on Twitter. You don't even have to do a time-sensitive search. If you just go search Azov Battalion, which is the main fighting force for Ukraine right now, you'll find nothing but horror stories. Horror stories about who these guys are the equivalent of Mexican drug cartels. They'll dismember people. You know, there's videos of Ukrainian doctors saying, you know, we're getting Russian former Russian soldiers who were treating because they got castrated. You know, they're just doing, they're just awful, awful people. The Azov Battalion are the most ruthless sons of bitches on the planet. These are the freedom fighters that all the yellow and blue flag wavers are supporting. And this was well understood before February of 2022. Well understood. It's still well. What's stunning to me is it's still well understood. I would have thought there'd be some sort of mechanism to clean it up, but it was the stories about the Azov guys were so over every media outlet over the last decade and the ruthlessness and the anti-Semitism and the ethnic cleansing patterns and all the civil rights watch groups had them in their sights saying, these are bad, bad guys. And these are the guys our CIA decided we would arm them and they would fight Russia. Again, CIA coming back into it. Yeah. Seated with Nazis back in the early days. I, I had I had dinner with the former head of the CIA one night. How, how did that go? Really? Uh, well, he happens to be a former chemist. Now, what's interesting, it didn't mean anything to me at the time, but he's a former chemist at MIT. Well, if you track the CIA Epstein crap and stuff like that, it always goes to Harvard and MIT. There's about 50 or 60 schools. But Harvard and MIT are a real tip of the spear. 
So they appear to have, have set up shop. And the CIA was funding, I think, a huge percentage of the psychology studies. You know, these famous studies like the Milgram experiment, stuff like that, that everyone likes to quote. Um, you know, where they zap people with charges, they see if the, if the person is willing to uh, up the charge, even though the guy's screaming, or the prisoner, prisoner guard experiment where they where the prisoners start treating the guards start treating the prisoners they're just role playing but then pretty soon they're brutal this was all cia shit like just these weren't cute experiments by psychologists these were psychologists who were getting vast sums of money out of the cia to do experiments on humans and and i'm sure they're watered down they talk about oh there was an actor in the other room I'm not convinced it was an actor in the other room screaming at the top of his lungs in pain. It might have just been a guy getting zapped. <laughs> and so you just, you just don't know. And then I read uh, Chaos about Charles Manson, and I wouldn't have because it sounded hokey to me. It was about Charles Manson's you know, massacre, of, you know, Sharon Tate, and the Bianca killings, I think. And, and, uh, and, uh, Three guys, credible guys, said, you really ought to read it. And it turns out it was too long a book for too little real punchline to me. But eventually the author, much to his own dismay, connects the Manson murders with the CIA's operations in San Francisco, where they were testing the effect of acid on mind control. Yeah, it was MKUltra. Right? And that it was MKUltra. And then all of a sudden the guys in, in, in the San Francisco's MKUltra program were – he, he was able to connect up back with the Boston MK Ultra guys. And, and so it was pretty clear that Manson was, and Manson was protected by the authorities. He said, what was so mysterious is he kept getting out of trouble. He kept wiggling off the hook. And, uh, and so I, I, would, I would not recommend the book, although it was kind of an interesting journey by a reporter who didn't know what rabbit hole he was going down and explaining all the dead ends he hit and stuff like that. So in that sense, it wasn't bad, but it was really too long for what I got out of it. Um, the thing he didn't explain was why all the Hollywood elite shut the hell up. He, he, the first Wally hit were he wanted to write an anniversary story about the Manson killings. And he not only hit people saying, look, I don't really want to talk about it. It's kind of a bad period. He hit doors being slammed in his face. And he never explained it. And I sent him an email and said, I really didn't get the message as to why the Hollywood elite shut you down. And his response was, well, it's in the book. And I'm going, I read the whole book. And you didn't tie that off very well, right? But I, it was clear, you know what, tell me, I don't know. Well, did you did you follow the the Kanye saga at all late last no. year? I, I know of it, but I, I I my interest in it was minimal. Yeah, but there. Well, I mean, going on? I mean, I, we don't have to get into. No, I'd like, love to hear if there's a subplot that I missed. Well, there his trainer and former doctor who put him in the loony bin. Um. Uh, years ago, he he shared screenshots of his conversation with him, 
uh, and basically, I think the dude's name was like Harvey Pasternak or something like that, or his name is. Mm -hmm. And in the screenshots, he says, you have two options. You can apologize or I'll drug you up and make you a zombie for the rest of your life. And you'll go back to what you were in 2016 when I first throw you in the clink. And it's come to be apparent that this guy's ex-Massad and is the trainer of a lot of Hollywood elite and one surmises that. So maybe, so, so maybe Hollywood is super, super dirty. The, the whole wine scene thing and Pizzagate, you name it, right? Maybe. Yeah, if you go back to there, were, I mean, there was a, in the 70s and 80s, I believe, there was a big like Luciferian like cult within Hollywood, like Sammy Davis Jr., right. a bunch of other. Right. You hear that? about these, you just don't know what to do with them. Right, but in the chaos book about Manson, they're talking about all the acid parties and stuff, which the players, you guys like Cary Grant, Doris Day and stuff, you're going, really? These guys were a bunch of acid heads? Are you kidding me? You know, so, so I think Hollywood was pretty degenerated. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a very photogenic uh, podcaster today. I'm having trouble sitting still. And, um. No, then you get in like Kubrick films, like Eyes Wide Shut. The uh, oh, that's a weird one. Yeah, that's a weird one in its totality, but or not in its totality, and what was released to the public. But there are stories that thirty minutes of the film was forced to be cut out because uh, it sort of spilled the beans on. It's too close. Yeah. Well, you got to figure things like Studio Fifty Four and stuff went down some very dark very dark paths, you know, behind the scenes, right? And I think to explain things like Pizzagate and and uh, and the Harvey Weinstein and these guys, I think it's, it, you go down this dark path incrementally. So you first start out and you're, you just want to bang hot chicks, right? The next thing you know, you're just getting kinkier and kinkier and weirder and weirder. And the people around you are signing off on it. And there never seems to be a consequence. So um, I think there must be a pedophile ring, a global elite pedophile ring. I think that must exist. And one of the reasons is, is you read all these stories about the child trafficking problems, the chronic child trafficking problems. And once in a while, you'll see a news story where some truck is open up and there's like 40 kids in there, you know, something like that. These kids are not being sold to people living in trailer parks. These are expensive young children. And so then the question becomes, uh, when was the last time you ever heard of a prominent person getting arrested for signing off on a kid? The answer's never. Ever. I mean, publicly... In recent years, you had Kevin Spacey, Robert De Niro get dragged. And look what happened to Kevin Spacey. Look what happened to Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, four people sue him for bad behavior. Three die, and the fourth said, I'm okay. Three of those, three of Kevin Spacey's four accusers died. Yeah. I mean, this could potentially even tie into Ukraine. I mean, that was your signal, signal of the year before... February 2022, Ukraine was known as this hotbed of human trafficking, drug trafficking. And then there's this odd connection where all of a sudden there's QAnon shaman getting a selfie with the Ukrainian Azov battalion guy 
at January 6th? What the hell was that all about? Yeah. What's the Azov Battalion doing at January 6th? Logan, pull up the this sequence of pictures here because we have uh, we have part one of the year in review. Who is this guy? He's everywhere. He's uh, in Ukraine <laughs> at Capitol Hill. I just don't know. He supposedly is a prominent Ukrainian nationalist blogger. He's got but a very distinct. He's got very distinct features too, which is right. You're going to send that he's guy not out. Easily hidden. No. And then you find out, you know, it was public knowledge, but you know, Ukraine is the largest donor to the Clinton Foundation. The guy who who supported a lot of Zelensky's real estate ambitions and stuff turned out to be the owner of Burisma. You know, it's just it's just this filthy, disgusting sort of path of lies. You got Hunter um, Hunter's laptop involved with it. I mean, yeah. And uh, and then all of a sudden they're doing that twenty four hour. I can't remember the guy's name, Nawal or something, 24-hour FTX pod uh, Twitter spaces that I jumped in and listened to for a while because it was a very rapidly breaking story. But all of a sudden, there, Hunter Biden's the guest. What the hell is Hunter Biden doing as a guest on a Twitter space about FTX? Wasn't he pumping his NFTs or something like that? I don't know, but it's still a weird connection. And then, of course, you know, Sam bank fraud, you know, Sam Bankman freed fraud, whatever. Um, Sam bankrupt fraud, right? Did you know him? No. <coughs> I think you'll be proud to learn that I've been calling him out for years. He never made any sense to me. I think I, 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 it's one of those things where somehow, you know, Cahotas gets credit. But based on what I was reading after that, um, it seemed like it was in plain sight the whole way. Yeah, so I started calling him out in July of 2021. He did a CNBC spot with Joe Kernan and Sorkin. Oh, those are so disgusting. Right? And so I've been blocked by SBF on Twitter for like two years now. And he, uh, he was doing the spot and... Essentially, he was, they were talking about proof of work, why Bitcoin mining so energy intensive versus proof of stake, which isn't as energy intensive. And during that interview, it became clear to me that he had no idea what he's talking about. This was somebody who's vaunted as the head of the crypto industry. And he clearly displayed to me in this five minute interview that he actually didn't understand how any of this worked. And so that's when. So, so there was the paradox between the boy genius and then the guy who knew nothing after the fraud broke. And so you're saying the knew nothing was the actual factual part. Yes. And it was very clear to me years ago. So here's the question is, so he obviously was a front man. We should just talk about it. He obviously was a front man for this gigantic money laundering scheme. I saw problems with a number of the, the crypto uh, exchanges the the stablecoin things when they were giving away crypto to open accounts and stuff like that and i go well then you're undercapitalized right away you're eroding your capital base your bitcoin and then i started hearing about some of these guys using uh crypto as their reserves for their stablecoin 
I go, this is, there's no chance this is going to work out well. No. And, uh, and, 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 but, but it appears as though this thing from the beginning was nothing about crypto. It was about money laundering from T equals zero. Completely agree. I mean, just the whole, the whole origin story of FTX spinning out, out of Alameda and Alameda coming to prominence with their quote unquote kimchi trade where they were arbing the price of Bitcoin, uh, between Western and Asian markets never made any sense. The the fact that they were able, right. if if the trade was even possible, if the trade even happened, if they actually made money doing that trade, technically possible, but the ability to spin up bank accounts in Japan, South Korea, other well, Asian I put markets. It, they were, I said anyone can pump and dump a crypto, a random crypto, but they somehow managed to monetize it into real real wealth. And I couldn't understand how that could happen. No, it came out of nowhere. And within years. It came out of nowhere. Within a couple right. of years, Super Bowl commercial, naming stadiums, buying up. And that all costs money, which means therefore. It just it doesn't add up. Yeah. And then the other thing that's surreal is his parents must have known. So they let their son walk into a shitstorm of a higher order. They let their son walk into into a shark tank, to use Dennis O'Leary's. Well, and it seems sort of. like... <laughs> yeah, fuck. Fuck. What's his name? It's not Dennis O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary. Fuck. Kevin O'Leary. Fucking loser. But I shared a stage with him one day at a finance meeting. Is he as douchey in person as he seems on camera? I would probably say so. Yeah. You know, all these hucksters have this uh, sales pitch that's thick, right? It's real thick. Yeah. Mr. Wonderful. It's a good brand name to run with. Right. <laughs> so then the question is. What what is missing from the model that basically says government funds were laundered into Ukraine, Ukraine then laundered them somewhere along the way with FTX's help and somewhere along the way with the, the National Bank of Ukraine back to the DNC and various PACs that the DNC supported or supported the DNC, but they're basically super PACs back to the politicians lining their pockets and their campaign coffers, right? What about that story is incomplete or wrong or whatever? I think maybe the order of operations, because uh, I think the super PAC was the first thing out of the gate right after FTX, right after FTX uh, went live, I believe in 2018 or 2019, that's when Sam's mom and her super PAC raised a shit ton of money so almost it's immediately. It's an entire corrupted family, right? I mean, it's a prof- it, it seems like it's just this. It's it's a mafia family, right? It seems like with less moral with less moral standards. Yeah, and then you you drag in Caroline, his ex girlfriend slash business partner, CEO of Alameda slash, slash and, needs needs some shampoo. Yes, uh, and her parents. The Stanford MIT connection. Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler. Yeah, um, it's all rotten. It's right. That's the thing, though. Like, 
I think that's well, the so way. I, I don't know if you saw it, but I, I tweeted about it about 24 hours after the, the collapse broke. And, and you know how ignorant I am of crypto. But I smelled the problem right away. I said, holy shit, this is not the collapse of a, just crypto. And I put out a tweet that said, before the story's over, there's going to be um, there's going to be uh, hodlers washing up on beaches around the world. Mm-hmm. So that was my spidey sense saying this is not this is not about some collapsed hedge fund. No, and then only a week later, you had the founder of one of the more popular crypto uh, synthetic stable coins wash up ashore. Only days after right. tweeting out that Mossad and the CIA were running some weird sex trafficking in the Bahamas. Him. Blackmailing yeah. him. Blackmailing him, too. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's this sort of depth of depravity in the geopolitical world. And, and this doesn't even include, you know, the great reset guys who are, seem to be the, like the pinnacle of evil. No, not yet. I mean, who knows? They could yet. be involved. They could, I mean, that... Was Sam's brother? So if you he had was, to bet a paycheck right now, are they? did they try to kill us with COVID? All right, this one's definitely not going on YouTube. But yeah, I mean. Well, you can cut this part out. Pomp the other day did a podcast. He was really funny. He would also show up in the podcast. He says, okay. Turns out Dave talked about stuff I can't put on YouTube. And so I'm telling you right now, and then he'd go back to the podcast. And meanwhile, I'd be blanked out. Yeah, no, and, I uh, mean, uh, I don't know. I find it hard to believe that the incompetence could be that grand. I know. I tried to pin down Scott Atlas in a Zoom call one day about, you know, Fauci's motives, and I, I really couldn't pin him down. And he, he kept coming back to the you—you you cannot fathom the level of incompetence. So he kept coming back to the convenient story, in my opinion, that that Fauci and Burks were just so stupid. I don't know. And I'm going. I, I don't know. I don't know. They I mean, could be, but someone from behind the scenes was doing something. I was on the fence until the most recent conversation I had with Whitney Webb and one of her co-authors on one of her recent series. What's his name? Ian? Ian. Um, last name's escaping me right now. A British guy, though, I think. Yes. And during that yeah. conversation, I asked her, do you think it's incompetence or nefariousness? And she laid out a pretty convincing case that there is some nefarious intentions behind all of this COVID, World Economic Forum, Great Reset, Ukraine. So this gets us back to the question of who are the big players? Is this, you know, the U.S. banking system versus the Davos guys like Luongo says? What do you, what does it mean? I don't know what it means. I don't know. I mean, when you go deep down, <laughs> yeah, conspiracy theory rabbit hole, people will talk about. The ancient We've family. been down there for about an hour now. I know. So. Well, we haven't even touched on like the ancient families that are really <laughs> right. pulling the strings behind the scenes that right. are using all these entities as front men. Mm-hmm. So that's where. Why well, have you even wondered about the Catholic Church? 
and and on a podcast, someone said, "Why well, I, I don't?" They they implied the church was a religious organization. Said, "No, I'm talking about the Catholic Church, the financial entity." Yes, the Vatican. The Vatican and the Vatican. It's not about religion at all. It's about the fact that you go into any town and they own real estate in any town. Yeah, and they own. They have the largest war chest of fine art on the planet. Right. So, so, so they've been compounding wealth for two thousand years. So, where is it? What, what, what strings are they pulling? And then you get these guys like Archbishop Vagano, mm-hmm. who comes out and starts attacking WEF and and Klaus Schwab, and you're going, holy shit! So, I had a an anti-vaxer. He's actually anti-remdesivir guy say he said you really want to know what i think it is i said yeah i do he's famous for remdesivir opposition and and he said i think it's um i think it's the was it the davos crowd against the church or china against the church so it's conceivable that the catholic church is actually represents the power center of the western world would not shock me I mean, you well, had that, I don't know where all, where'd all their money go if, if they don't have it. Well, wasn't the weird thing with the Vatican? Didn't they recently like tell anybody associated with their bank to or associated with the Vatican? Pull the money back into pull, the Vatican. Yeah. Pull the money back in. I think. Yeah. The other thing that's happening that may be related to all this is central banks are scooping up gold to an unusual extent in twenty twenty two. Everyone except for Canada. Do we know that's true? I don't know. Do we? I thought they sold all their gold like the last five years. Could be, it could be the Bank of England equivalent, right? Trudeau being a boob. Yeah. And, uh, no, but certainly Russia and, Freeland, Russia and China have certainly been building up their gold reserves for two decades at least. But they had a big, big spike. No, they had a big spike in 2022. They scooped up a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talk of the, the BRICS go, going to a bot commodity-backed currency. Gold, obviously, would pay a, play a big part someone, in that. Someone of prominence, but it might be prominence in our twisted little digital world, right, um, said that he thought that um, China had something like 85,000 tons of gold. That's 10x the U.S.'s claim. That's there's a not, huge number, and it's not on their books, obviously. If it's if it's that big, actually, it's it's in their state-owned industry, supposedly. So if you supposedly if you dig into these big state-owned mega industries in China, that they have gold stashes, and since they're state-owned, they're China's. Yeah, but they can you believe those numbers? That's the big question. I no, I don't know what to believe at all. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to believe about anything. No. At all. So how do we navigate this world? I as individuals know. subjected to all well, this craziness. One can make the argument of saying, quit doing what you and I do so routinely, like a cat chasing a laser pointer and stop paying attention. Just let the world, you know, spin out of control without us knowing. Because you say, there's nothing we can do. I mean, you would say... You know, by Bitcoin, I'd say by gold, you know, that's fine. Um, and uh, so, so it might save our bacon. 
knowing. But it might be we're just going to be miserable wretches and you know, I'm going to be 90 and you're going to be 65. We're going to remember when we used to talk about all the bad shit and nothing happened. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, but as somebody with young children, I don't want them to grow up in that world. Maybe it's yeah. the naive youthfulness I still have left that's, we can stick it to them. I truly, I mean. Well, one can make the argument that you grew up in your world, they're going to grow up in their world, and you don't really have a lot of control over the two. Right. Every generation has their cross to bear. The dog, the dog movements here are making this a very difficult podcast. Um, here comes Fiona. At least it's not Charlie. He's a tank. Um, <laughs> so um, it's tiring to watch. And also being sick doesn't help me today either. So probably. No, you're still on point. No, you're on point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife said, don't do the podcast. You know how bad you sound. I said, I I sound bad every time I podcast. Um, I don't know. No, your voice is a little deeper. Yeah. I like it. That's good. I like Sick Dave. Sick Dave. Sick Dave has always been Sick Dave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or as I like to say when they were talking about the symptoms of COVID, I said, but I've always been tasteless. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that uh, the idea that maybe it is a fact. Hopefully it's just an idea that these people have control over the outcome they of my do life. Have control. Yeah. Well, they always have. Right. You can't, the closest you can come is some, you know, 19th century U.S. You know, somewhere, the American experiment was unique. And it's possible it's just coming to an end. Oh, I think definitely. I mean, the, and maybe the saving grace is the 10th Amendment. And we hope that states within the United States assert their autonomy. From the and how government. did that work? How did that work during the lockdown? In Florida, <laughs> Florida and Texas did okay, I would say. Right, but one of the, you know, the book Technocracy by Patrick Wood, he talks about the idea that the globalists want to get rid of the very notion of sovereign states because they're in the way and that they want regions. And then you start going, okay, let's go real weird and talk about George Soros, right? Which I, I really hate talking about George Soros because because he's a garbage can for bad ideas. But George Soros, he doesn't seem to buy high-level politicians. He seems to buy low-level politicians. District attorneys, police chiefs. Right, and, and governors and things like that, yeah. And that would be consistent with the idea they're trying to build a model where everything is being called at the state level. It's not like the governor of New York you'd want to trust yourself with. No. It's not like the, uh, it's not like, you know, governor of Michigan, California, holy shit, Gavin Newsom, what a nightmare. I mean, he's corrupted my hometown of Philadelphia. He bought the DA there. He's completely eroded any sense of, of justice. Yeah. Really? And then you've got things like the, you know, the eras, the elections still seem terribly corrupt. It seems like this time they kept the noise level down. But, you know, the Arizona elections, 
were oh, fucked yeah. up from head to toe. I mean, how the hell could that woman overlook an election? Her own election. Her own election. Yeah. Right. And and then you find out that you know, I guess, in there, an article just came out that said there were one hundred and fifty thousand. Um, unaccounted for votes in Wisconsin in 2020. They've been able to track down 150,000 people who were not in the state when their vote was registered, demonstrably in another state, voting in another state. I mean, you go back to 2008 and you look at Ron Paul's performance in Massachusetts. I had a friend who actually went door to door. He's from Massachusetts, went door to door in his county, like knocked up, like, who'd you vote for? And like, he counted more Ron Paul votes doing that than were actually reported. Well, then there's also the news, which to me, the, the corruption of the media is our biggest problem because they used to be the watchdogs. But the news would talk about a primary where Ron Paul would take second and they would literally skip over Ron Paul and talk about the third place performance. Fox News had Ron Paul on a do not mention him by name list. What was he pushing? Revolution. <laughs> That's uh he was just pushing, you know, don't spend a lot of money and don't don't reelect the losers, right? But, you know, I was just reading an article this morning about how horrible it is inside women's prisons where they're where they're locking up transgenders. Yeah. And they're getting them pregnant. And and probably not in the most comfortable form of loving sex either. No. And the women in there going, what are you doing to us in here? Right? And most of the women in prisons are probably there for drug charges or something. I don't know. But um, um, the idea of locking up a transgender in a women's prison, it requires a special kind of stupidity or perversion or something to think that's a good idea. There's just nothing, especially when you get to just declare it. If you were sent on a 10-year prison term, wouldn't you go transgender before you got there? <laughs> right. It's, uh... Of course. So let me see if I got free room, board, and unlimited sex. Well, that's, well, that's another one of the theories is that we're basically entangled in a cultural revolution where Maybe something like China or Russia seeding these woke ideologies into the United States. But they've been doing States. it for many, many years. This is decades. This is not, yeah, decades. And and the Saudis made the mistake of handing their educational system over to the imams, and then we're shocked to find out that about twenty years later, all the kids were radical hobbyists. Yeah. And we handed all of our educational system over to the activists. And now we're shocked to discover that drag shows and weird shit like that are being promoted in schools. And transgender is being promoted in schools. Rachel Levine's the, the health czar here in the United States. Right. Yeah. I, I'm losing. Um, I have no fear of this particular part of the, the world at this point. So back in 2020, when I got canceled, it was unpleasant. It was based on nothing, so it made it weird. Um, but if someone wants to come at me for saying that, you know, you shouldn't let men in women's sports, I'm going to go to war. Yeah. 
I am. I promise you, I'm going to go to war. I'm going to. I'm going to make call out the administrators and say, do you do you therefore support this? State it. State it. So, so I've thought about this. I said, if if it ever happened again, I think the first thing I do is approach Cornell and say, look, here's the deal. I don't want to throw Cornell under the bus. You guys handle this well. I'll just shut the fuck up. It's like the first Gulf War. Remember when Saddam was throwing scuds into Israel? I was and the Israelis knew. Well, turns out that the Israelis never countered. Because we said, look, you take the beating. We will take care of Saddam. If you join in the war, all the Arabs will unite. You've got to not respond. And so they didn't. So... Um, so if I get in one of these battles again, I'm, I'm just, I think I'm going to go full goblin on it. Yeah. I think I'm going to just call them out and say, okay, let's talk. I, I have this image of, you know, op-eds calling them pathetic, sniveling excuses for human beings and you know, a real just nasty, nasty, insulting, you know, declare war. Just full out. I think, I think that's if there's a silver lining to the insanity of the world over the last few years, particularly, it's I think the average Joe, particularly with this trans subject, is waking up and drawing a line in the sand like, this is crazy. Like the whole, who was it, the Penn women's swimming team and I think the NCAA swimming championships when that dude came in first and won. Right. I mean, they're literally telling you not to believe your lying did, eyes. They're did saying, you happen to notice, did you happen to notice how I wrote that up? Yeah. I wrote I, it totally sarcastically. I said, congratulations to so-and-so <laughs> after being beaten by, by Yale's transgender swimmer to rally back to win the NCAA championship. <laughs> right, but... And then, and, then, and then I started talking about well-known psychological studies that show that silver medalists are the least happy. The bronze are happy to be on the medal podium somewhere. The golds won, so they're happy. The silvers are like, fuck, I was so close. And I sent a picture's worth a thousand words, and I showed the pictures of the swimmers. One of them where this, this girl's doing this really cute feminine thing with this big husky fuck next to her. And the other's where all the other women were together, and, and he stayed away over to the side. And so they were really saying, fuck you. They, well, they handled it brilliantly. Exactly. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make is like – the powers that be, whether it be the media, the university administration, they're trying to make the average Joe knows deep down that this shit is wrong, not believe their lying eyes. Like that picture of the podium that you have in the year in review perfectly articulates like the women who are actually women in this league do not feel like they're being Identified treated fairly. That guy. No. Yesterday I posted a tweet that said it was a collaborative effort to win the internet that day. I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was, oh, Matt Walsh posted a, posted a, 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 a thing that said, you should be very proud, and embedded in it was a tweet saying the first transgender was executed. <laughs> and, then, and then the person who followed him said, but she identifies as alive. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's funny you oh. mentioned Matt Walsh because I was listening at a road trip, listened to his episode of Rogan from a few months He's ago. Really good. And that's the point. They're they're trying to erode the concept of truth and objectivity. 
just driving the really problem mad. Is, is every every but that's the problem is are they when matt walsh beats him has he won a battle but not a war i don't know but that's, that's the risk well no the risk well yes it is a risk so you win the battle and then it incites a war so, okay once in a while but once in a while matt wall a uh, matt wall shows up and fights him back but they still rotted our brains with this stupid fucking stuff. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's one of the underlying themes that many people are talking about. Like, hey, it's getting to a point where you're going to push people so far to one end of the spectrum that the reaction to that that forcing into the corner is going to is going to be pretty brutal and swift in the other direction, which is a scary. I've seen interviews of, of legitimate transgenders expressing concern that it's extremely rare and that this is a problem, what we're seeing here. Walsh uses this lurid language where he refers to it as castrating people, castrating kids, he called it. I think that's descriptive. I think it is descriptive. And, you know, the double mastectomy, and then you've got things like California saying that they will do... Transitions, medically based transitions, without parental consent. They're a sanctuary state, and I'm sitting there watching this, going, "Okay, so my daughter shows up with her breast cut off, having taken a trip to San Francisco or a trip to California, and she's 14. I'm going to be asking, who do I kill first?" Yeah. Right. I'm going to be making a list and checking it twice. And I'm going to be asking who. So I get the doctor. He'd be on my hit list. I'd be trying. I'd send out a private investigator to find out who all the guilty parties are. And I'd just whack them. Yep. Again, they're trying to just. And you know, if I'm on a jury, I'm on a jury and someone does that. I'm 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 hanging the jury. It could be a brutal slang. They're not getting my vote. No. You have a blank check out of me. It's, uh, again, they, they touched on this in that Rogan discussion. Like they're, they're trying to redefine like the parental child relationship where. Well, I mean, yeah, they're trying to take them out. And this is very Stalin shit. I mean, this is yes. really bad. It's like authoritarianism. So that's why last year I spent 100 pages writing about authoritarianism. I didn't spend any time this year because I got the message out last year. Okay, I guess you can mention, you could say the the Canadian topic was. Oh, I yeah, that was definitely. I beat on Trudeau pretty hard on that one. Yeah. And it was an important topic. And it was, it was nice and neat and orderly. And. Do you believe he's and, Fidel Castro's son? Yeah. I do too. We call it the yeah. Cuban the Cuban uh, nipple. One of my. Li- <laughs> One of my links was to a guy who dug into it deep. And and he came out of it saying, yeah, looks like it is it. Yeah, he sure doesn't look like his father. Yeah, he's got brown nipples. It's the Cuban nipple crisis. He's, those aren't French-Canadian nipples. <laughs> that one went by me the first time you used it. I didn't, it just didn't register. Um, yeah. He just looks like him. Yeah. And as I said, there's Margaret Trudeau with her hand right on Fidel's chest. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm, and you know, as I said, I learned this in college. Some chick's got her hand on your chest. You're going to get laid. Yeah. Hand on the back. You're good to not go. as telling hand on the chest. It's in you're, the back. You're going to score. Yeah. That's, that's, that's inside the sp- personal space zone. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. So where do you think 2023 is going to be more chaotic? I think it's going to go back to finance. Yeah. I think we're going to, I think we're going to have a financially chaotic year. What? uh, I think think it'll go back to central banks and collapsing markets and things like that. You think we get recession and depression? Yeah. But my base model as I've told so many, and it seems I can make the case trivially, but it still catches people by surprise. Is I think we're looking at an epic secular bear market that could last decades. Decades. What a lot of people don't know is decades is normal. Decade, multi-decade bear markets are normal. They are not outliers. They're not rare. You, if you own the market in 1906, the price of that market and in inflation-adjusted dollars was identical in 1981. That's... Identical. Same with 1929. The 81 bottom came back and hit all the highs of the entire 20th century. No one knows that. They do now, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like the it's holidays. Isn't it? Well, it seems like Christmas, New Year's was a nice lull. People going home, trying to enjoy family, but being thrust right back into it. We had a good quote unquote good jobs report yesterday, which of course is another manipulated metric, but that is what the Fed is dictating yeah. its policy on. So, it seems like rate hikes are here to stay. Once you're profoundly overvalued, there is no escape route. This is like a guy who weighs 1,800 fucking pounds. You can put it, there's no Weight Watchers program for that boy. No. He's just going to die. He's just going to die. And so, what are you bullish on energy? I, I'm bullish, at some level, I'm bullish on nothing because I think. <clears throat> all boats sink. You know, I, I think I think all, uh, Hussman's very clear on that point. When when you start selling hard, every valuation decile on the planet drops because it just there's just a rush for the exits and everything. So it's an attempt to go straight to cash. I did an analysis one year that was really interesting. I said, imagine you have a 50-50 portfolio. Let's call it a binary world, cash and equities. Cash could be an interest-bearing cash, but cash and equities. And all of a sudden, you say, you know, I ought to, I ought to go up to 60-40 equities, right? And, and it turns out that if you buy your equity, you buy more equities, someone else sells them to you, so there's no net change in the cash in the system. There's no net change in the equities in the system. It is simply the price of the equities that'll get driven up. Now, if the market collectively decides 60-40 is a better number than 50-50, what'll happen? Well, they were at parity, equal amount of cash, equal amount of equities globally, or pick a unit of space, I don't care. 
Now 60-40 means you just made a 50% gain. Simply through asset reallocation. There is no change in the amount of cash in the system. There's no change in the amount of equities in the system. You simply bid up the equities to be a higher price due to the desire to have more equities. The equilibrium ratio will be 60-40 if we collectively decide 60-40 is the number. So then let's say you say, wow, that worked really well. Fucking A, that was great. I made 50%. Equities are a really good idea. I'm going to 80-20. So imagine the market collectively says, believe Jeremy Siegel, who I think is a bit of an idiot, and uh, says you should have 80-20. Why have cash? It's a waste of, it's a waste of fucking opportunity. The market goes up to 80-20. Now we're talking about the, there's still the same amount of cash. Just because we swapped cash for equities doesn't mean cash appeared. Well, now the equities have now been bid up to fourfold. You've made um, 400%. Somebody threw an attitude change. No wealth creation, no increase in quantity of money in the system. That quite explicitly not. And then you say, well, this is phenomenal. The market collectively decides why have any cash at all? Why, why not be an equity maximalist? Let's go 100%. The equities go to infinity. But the, of course they won't. But when they, when you, the guys on CNBC talk about money flowing into equities, do they ever stop to think that money can't flow into equities? There's little shit around the edges, like an IPO for a company that no, that previously didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But if you have a 500 share stocks, you have a fixed amount of cash in the system. There's no change in in money. Cash doesn't flow. If I if I buy equities because I want more equities, someone's got to sell them to me. You know, and they say, oh, you know, the, the buyers are outnumbered. Apparently the sellers were too, because we didn't buy them from a fucking pumpkin. <laughs> right? And so the gist is, is that we bid, the, the various asset classes, I think it was like balloons in a closet. Mm -hmm. And the pressures, put, the, the, our desire for the different allocations makes one balloon expand at the expense of the other balloons and shit like that. But um, so now all of a sudden, you have a bad fucking time and you go, oh man, 80-20 is not a good idea. I better go back to 60-40. I better go back to 50-50. You just round trip the whole fucking thing. You're back to where you started some number of decades later with precisely zero gains. Now, the story gets complicated when you start talking. So what? when the Fed pumps money into the system, what are they doing? When a 50-50 portfolio they're raising the quantity of cash. So as people say, I want 50-50, they'll bid up the equities higher. So that naturally pumps the equities. So instead of, a, let's call it, you know, 50 trillion in cash and 50 trillion in equities, they put 10 trillion of cash in there. Now equities will get bid up to 60 trillion to get a 50-50 portfolio, if that's the collective wisdom of the market. And this idea of I buy, you sell is lost on so many people. So when some nitwit on CNBC who's paid way too much money says money's flowing into equities, there is no flow. Now you can make a subset of the equity market and say money's flowing into equity mutual funds. Mm -hmm. 
But that's just when 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 you buy it in the mutual fund, someone else sold it from somewhere. It's just semantics. It's just semantics. And so the bottom line is, is if we go from a point where we think equities suck, 1981, to equities are wonderful, 2022, that 42-year period, it turns out that of the gain of that 42-year period in equities, 3% per year, annualized 3%, (coughs) was valuation expansion. Just froth from mm-hmm. almost no froth to lots of froth. If that unwinds, what would the next 42 years get bring us? Well, what if it unwound by dropping 3% a year for 42 years? We now went from a 3% tailwind to a 3% headwind. The net 6% up your ass. Warren Buffett laid this all out in 1999 in his article. He said, what, what drives equity prices is interest rates. He says, when rates are going up, equities are going down. When equities are going, when, when interest rates are going down, equities are going up. Long term, that's the whole game. Yeah, it's been aptly now. Now, here's the problem. So people say, oh, this correction's over. And I go, oh, let me see if I got this right. You're saying that we've scraped off the froth from early 2021, mid 2021. That's your bear market? We took off 18 months of froth, and that's it? After we expanded the monetary supply by 35%. <laughs> right. So that's all just inflation, though. Yeah. So that means it's a totally illusory price at that point, too. And so then the question is, where's fair value? And I have fair value at approximately 50%, a 50% drop from here. The market's cut in half get you to a market valuation that for the first three quarters of the 20th century was considered normal. And if you, one time, a really, really, really famous smart guy said, well, what if your valuation metrics are now wrong? And I said, then you're, that could be true. But it also means therefore your assumptions about returns are wrong. Because if I'm paying, let's say, PE of 10, if I'm buying assets with a PE of 10, forget about the fact they're fake numbers now, but let's say they're real PE of 10. I'm buying into a 10% return, right? It's going to kick off 10% every year by that model. If you pay twice that, you're going to get a 5% return. So if you buy assets for twice what you used to pay, mm-hmm. you're going to half what you used to earn. And therefore, all the assumptions about pension funds and shit all fall apart. They all fall apart. Well, that's the inter- is it is it an interesting predicament that we find ourselves in? Well, it, created, it took forty years to get here. But if we, I mean, forty years to get here and unprecedented been, monetary policy, like. Right. But once you're overvalued, you're the 1,800-pound guy. You go, well, how do I get back to 200? You go, I don't, I don't know, because your blood's going to go toxic if you go on a diet. You can't get back from 1,800 to 200 without all your organs failing. The analogy's not crazy. I just made it up, but, you know, it's, it's not a bad analogy. Yeah, but wouldn't that make the case for a fast and rapid decline? Probably the like- damage will be incredible. Yes. 
I would love a fast and rapid decline. I would love a very, very quick, brutal bear market. The problem is the quick ones don't do it. They become flesh wounds. So if it drops real fast, you don't have time to register and you go, okay, we're at the bottom. I can't sell now. Therefore, uh, I'm a buy and hold. What, what changes, what really sets a real bottom in, a, in an asset market is when you demoralize the fuck out of everyone. I was a gold bull at the bottom of the gold market. I was buying gold from 290 down to 280 down to 270. And then I stopped because I couldn't take. Meanwhile, the NASDAQ was going up. I said, I, I just can't keep buying it on the way down. And I was doing a podcast with the Corlin Economics Report, and they asked me about the gold market. I said, something has changed. They said, what's that? And I said, well, the Bank of England announced for who knows how many times that they were going to sell gold. And the, the price of gold went up, not down. And then I said, the Bank of England then went and actually sold gold. And the price of gold went up, not down. And so I, I said, I think something has changed. That was with gold. I, I had gold at, you know, gold got down to 256. It got back to around 300. My friends were all saying, sell it, sell it. Grab the profit. And I go, no, I don't think it's done. I was buying, I was buying ounces of gold for cash from a local coin dealer. Quick diversion from where I'm eventually heading. He, uh, he was this amazingly honest guy who grew up in the most awful childhood cir circumstances. And I trust him to the point that I loaned him five grand. I didn't need a receipt out of him. I just trusted the guy. And he couldn't rub two nickels together, but he had this little coin shop. And then one day I was buying physical gold from him. This is much more recently than where I'm about to go in a minute. And I gave him 12 grand to buy gold. And he gets to the front, he gets to the door of his coin shop and some guy jams a gun in his ribs and says, give it to me. He got robbed. He calls me. And immediately I realized something bad happened. So I said to him, this is so fortuitous. I said, look, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Figure out the rest of the shit going on in your world right now. And uh, we'll talk later. So later that day, I called him. His name was Carl. I mean, this guy, he had two kids with cystic fibrosis, six kids, and he lived in a house for which he had a second mortgage. The house is appraised on like 20000 He's living in a chicken coop. And he says, I'm just pacing around my house. And I started trying to give him some soothing term words. And then, then either that day or the next day, he committed suicide. Oh, shit. I had people tell me he stole, and I said, no, he didn't. I think his wife, who's going to run off with another guy, set it up. That's because not many people had to know that he had gold. Now, here's the deal. So years back, now dial it way back. That was back around 2012 or something. But I felt that my wife got mad at me. She said, you lost $12,000. I said, my dealer's dead. You got to keep this in perspective. And um, 
So, uh, so I'm buying gold off him at 457 an ounce, paying cash. And he knows I'm going to buy it, so he's not trying to sell, turn me off or turn me on. And he said, don't you think this is the top? I said, let me ask you a question. How many people are buying gold from you in your coin shop? He said, uh, he does some quick math, he says, four of you. And I said, the other three are my friends, aren't they? He said, yes. I said, does that sound like a mania to you? <laughs> the only guys who were buying gold from him knew me. So then gold shot up to 1900 then it came back. And then around 1200 I bought a bunch more. And, you know, gold's not a great way to get rich, but in this fucked up world, it's not a crazy way to hide from the real bad shit. Yeah. Um, I was buying silver at 315 ounce. What's it at now? Like 20, 26? 24, somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been a great return over two decades, but it's still, I still beat the S&P 2% annualized from 2000 to 2020 with a very unorthodox portfolio. Um, but, but I think we could have a Nikkei-like bear market. It was simply uninvestable. There was no way to make money in the Nikkei from 89 till whatever. For all I know, the Nikkei is going to go back to the bottom again. There's I mean, nothing that guarantees it can't return there. I mean, the Bank of Japan just announced more emergency buying. Right. There's something going on in Japan, by the way. Right. There's something yeah. going on. What is it? Do you know? I think <laughs> the Bank of Japan just owns too much of their bond market. It's up to 50%. I, I know. I they are the bond market. There, there are days where the Japanese bond market trades no bonds. It's that it's that broken. Yeah. But but the question is, is something happening in Japan that we're going to find out six months from now? What? It's got kind of a repo spike flavor to it. It really does. I mean, could it be the product of their terrible demographic situation that they're in? Simply could be. Uh, could be a product of their terrible monetary policy for 30 years. Yeah. I mean, that's... at some point, at some point, the house of cards just lets rip. I was one time, I was listening to a podcast and Bill, not Bill Russell. Who's the Russell, famous Russell, Russell, um, the Dow theory, Russell, hey man, Russell. Um, someone asked him, why can't this go on forever? And he said, go in your kid's room and start stacking blocks. And just keep stacking them. What happens? And then you realize the higher the stack, the further from equilibrium you are, the more shock sensitive, the bigger the pile of debris. It, it can't work. The tiniest little flicker, butterfly flapping its wings, over it goes. It's a good model. When the chemist gets far from equilibrium in a lab, they blow up the lab. Right? Avalanches are when there's just too much fucking snow. You go, well, why, why can't it just build more snow? And you go, some point a vibration is going to let that rip. Yeah. So unlike the Federal Reserve, you know, they throw up little sticks of dynamite to try to get the snow to fall during a time when it can't do much damage. But our Federal Reserve passed on countless opportunities since 09 to renormalize. 
yeah. And they yeah. were all fucked up. In, they were all fucked up in 07. So it's not like they hadn't fucked up already. But they went super fucked up. I mean, the bailout cost $30 trillion. <clears throat> Was there anyone in the world who saw that coming? No. Nobody. Well, $30 trillion means the system's on a, on a life support. It's, it's, it's intubated. It's, it's, yeah, right? I, I mean, I think, I think the economy went on hospice in 2008, and it's still on right. hospice just waiting to die. It's, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, I think it was Karen Ann Quinlan who they took her off the breathing device and she stayed alive for another 10 years or something. You know, <laughs> no, we didn't um, it was one of those stories where the family was convinced that she was responding, that they were seeing response. They didn't want to pull the plug when she finally died. I'm not sure this is Karen Ann Quinlan or someone else. Um, they did an autopsy. They said that part of her brain was gone. There is no chance that that person was responding. So the family was just seeing things they wanted to see. So, so I think we are so far off the deep end, monetarily, value-wise, debt. What, two quadrillion dollars of derivatives? When was the last time someone created a derivative that served a function? I mean, but they're just trading chips. They're yeah. just trading chips. But they used to be insurance policies for farmers and stuff. But they're not that anymore. They're just trading chips. They serve no fucking purpose. Now, they're so important now because you can't get out from underneath them. You can't just pull them away. You must have been in a brace off and on in your life as an athlete, right? Yes. Once you're in a brace, it's a bitch to get out of it. it really is. It's actually because tough. your brain says, holy fuck, I'm unprotected. My knee is vulnerable. It's creepy to not to be playing without your brace. Right? Yeah, I tore my ACL. I know that feeling. There's nothing like tearing your ACL to make you realize how much you don't uh you don't appreciate a fully functioning body when it's fully functioning yeah well my wife appreciates that too now <laughs> well this all gets back to like an interesting question too like if this house because you have the crazy valuations that don't make any sense have no semblance or connection to reality and then you have the monetary policy going alongside of it which is probably driving insane valuations and it seems like these central banks are out of options and they're just simply trying to extend hospice until um until who knows when but just as long as possible like to have does this like if this does blow up i don't think we're gonna get a soft landing like does this change how people like you're talking cash 50 percent cash 50 percent equities throw bonds into the mix like does this change how people actually save and invest their capital like is it going to completely perturb people's ability well, here's to the first big perturbation if the markets are 50 percent overvalued and if the bond market is 50 uh, not 100 percent overvalued 50 percent drop if the bond market's 100 percent overvalued 
because of where inflation is and where it normally is and stuff like that. That means that the world thinks it's twice as rich as it really is. Everything's mispriced. So if I tell you, 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 you so, so I talked about inflation. There's a thing called, Doug Nolan calls moneyness. If you own a $100 million yacht, it's not money. But you're not going to spend like you don't own it. So if you're making 50 grand a year and you happen to own a $100 million yacht, you're going to go, oh, I couldn't give a fuck about it. I've got a yacht. I can always sell it. So within, for example, the huddler community, the perceived wealth, wherever it is at any point in time, influences spending patterns. So Bitcoin is money because it influences how you think about how wealthy you are. And it, 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 and, and it's true with gold, and it's true with housing, and it's true with actual treasuries. And, and the only thing that's really money is the shit coming out of the cash machine, basically, right? But you perceive you have it, and therefore you act accordingly. If all of a sudden the value of the world cuts in half, think of the psychological effect globally. Yeah, it's humongous. Be a lot of belt tightening. A lot of belt tightening. By the way, you know, there's these guys who say, you know, if everyone's talking about a recession, then it can't be because that's a contrary indicator. I go, no, no. When people are talking about a recession, that causes recessions. Self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not a contrary indicator. Contrary indicators when everyone's bullish. There's no buyers left. But when everyone says we got a recession coming, that means they're all battening down the hatches. That means we're going to have a recession. Yeah. If you start spending thinking a recession's coming, if we all do it, we are going to get one. I mean, signs are everywhere. I mean, one could, everywhere. Argue, one could argue like Bitcoin and quote-unquote crypto is a leading indicator. It will sell off mm-hmm. first and has, I mean, Bitcoin's down, what, 60% year on year. Right. Then um, you, you look at the real estate funds, they're having to pause redemptions. That's obviously a signal of... That's a bad sign, especially in the BlackRock real estate funds, right? These are not these are not little penny ante funds. BlackRock, Blackstone, I believe Barclays, even. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. that, and the mean, real estate had to be screwed up because the lockdowns fucked everything up. So there was no way the real estate wasn't screwed up. No, then you compound that with the <laughs> rising interest rate environment and. Right. If you had that variable so interest I like, rate. I like to marvel at the fact that um, before the late 70s, no one thought an inflation and stagnation went together. They thought the only way you get inflation is when you have an overheated economy. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, let me see if I got this right. The, the geniuses of the world did not notice that if the same amount of income bought 10% less goods and services, that that wouldn't be stagnating. I go, you, what are you guys paid for? I mean, this is asinine. So the fact that stagflation caught them by surprise is absurd. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be where we're headed to. I mean, this oh, yeah. decreasing inflation rate, maybe a temporary lull. Shit, it's it's not like your credit card debt, which I don't have any, fortunately, but it's not like credit card debt 
they're all of a sudden going to lower the interest rates to lighten your load, right? No. Not going to happen. So the people with credit card debt are going to be bent over a barrel like there's no tomorrow. And remember all over Twitter two years ago, the number of people you'd see talking about how, oh, inflation would be great because we would erode the debt on my mortgage. I like to ask him, how's that working out for you now? Right. Is your mortgage payment smaller? Yeah. Are you having an easier time paying it while your tax base taxes are going up, while your food costs are going up, while your maintenance costs are going up? How is this whole inflate away my debt model working? Yeah, not very the well. Is, no. It was a stupid, stupid fucking idea. Inflation is never good. That is just it's money just we owe ourselves, good. though. We just owe ourselves a debt. Right, but what if what if I owe you a thousand bucks? So you're a thousand bucks richer, but I don't actually have it. Yeah, I mean that's the problem. Yeah, I mean everybody in crypto is finding this out. Oh, I have. Well, so I was on some of the Hodler podcasts. I'm trying to use the word Hodler, not Hodler for you, in, in honor of you. Um, and it was before the shit started hitting the fan. And they were saying, well, why would Bitcoin go down in a recession? Yeah, I know. <laughs> why would Bitcoin go down in a recession? I said, because everything does. Everything does. People have to eat. People have to eat. And by the way, I said, you know, you bought that fucking house. And all of a sudden that mansion you bought, which you didn't sell Bitcoin because you thought, well, it's making me rich. And therefore, I'll just get a regular mortgage. I'll hang on to my Bitcoin. All of a sudden, there's, the Bitcoin isn't there to back your monster mansion. And you start panicking, right? That's what happens. Yeah. So the problem with the hodler community, revolutions are fueled by youngsters. So the hodler community is exactly what you expect out of a revolutionary technology. Bunch of young guys. The problem is you're, the hodler community is also the greenest investment community I've ever seen in terms of understanding market structure. <laughs> so they just had no idea that markets could rip your ass off with one bite. And they just didn't understand that, you know, I was at dinner once and this year and some young punk was spouting off about the great, um, it was a hedge fund dinner. Some young punk was spouting off about the, uh, the great profit margins of tech. <laughs> now profit margins are mean regressing because as soon as there's a profit margin to be made, someone's going to come along and say, oh, I want some of that too. Next thing you know, the margins have been squeezed down by the miracles of the free market. Here's a lower price. Here's a lower price, and we can make money at this lower price, right? And uh, so this guy spun off about this shit, and Einhorn, who's normally very quiet, like kind of loses his shit a little bit. He says, you have no idea what it feels like to ride a position down 90, 90 95%. He says, you know what a 95% loss is? It's a loss that you've lost 90% and then it cuts in half. <laughs> he says, you have no idea what that feels like. Swift kick in the dick. Yeah. So, so we have very few people on the surface of the earth. Well, very few people in the continental United States. Let's just stay there. 
who know what inflation feels like. They're getting educated daily, but going into 2020, they didn't understand inflation. They didn't understand what it feels like. They didn't understand that your salary will never keep up with it. I think the and most- that's how Texas revenge. Yeah, I think one of the most shocking lesson of the inflation we've experienced the last two years is maybe, I mean, obviously prices going up sucks, but inability to actually access goods. Like the goods not showing up. Well, so this is a weird inflation. This is a little bit like the inflationary crisis of the 70s to the extent that you couldn't get gas. <coughs> but it's, it's, um, and the inability to access goods is a little mysterious because I look around the globe and I can't identify what it is that's stopping goods from making it to their destination. There's just something. So, so basically, my sort of base model is that you can't just turn off an economy and put it on blocks like a car and then just take it off the blocks expect to drive away. Well, especially an economy that was really pushing just-in-time supply chains. Right. And so, you know, they talk about people talk about strong labor markets. They go, bullshit, it's a broken labor market. There's nothing strong about it. Well, I mean. It's broken. Nobody ever wants to bring up the participation rate, which is right, right, which is low, and and it means that the buyers and sellers of labor can't 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 meet. They're not meeting the free the price discovery is non-existent. The buyers of labor can't meet the price that the sellers of labor are asking. That's a broken market. Yeah, the money's broken. That's what happens. And that will fix. There's your bit. I can hear you hodling in the background there. I can hear you. <laughs> well, you'll be, the, you'll be happy to learn. I'm not as green as you think. I don't have any credit card debt and I don't have a mortgage. Um, luckily. Did you pay off your mortgage with your, uh, with your profits? No, I moved down to Austin at the peak of the real estate boom. I was like, I'm renting. Um, Interesting. I'm, okay. I'm not getting old. Well, I don't have credit card debt or mortgage either, but I'm also an old man. You know, when, when the 07 crisis was coming, Here's my timeline. In 02, I wrote about it and I called it. I sent an email to a friend of Goldman. I said, JP Morgan. I thought JP Morgan was going to go down, but I said, the banks are going to go down. General Motors is going to go down. General Electric's going to go down. I laid it out. The only thing I got wrong was I thought JP Morgan was going to go down and they were the only survivor. Um, in 07, March of 07, there was very little of anything showing. The real estate market had peaked in 06, but it kind of went unnoticed. In March of 07, I'm standing in front of my class of organic chemists, and I turned to the class, I said, I think the banking system is about to collapse. This is pre-Bear Stearns internal hedge fund problems, which they started out saying, oh, it's a $600 million hedge fund, who cares? But it really wasn't the problem. And so I turned him and I, and I told him, I literally said, I, you could actually read, reach a point where you, can't, you go to the bank, you can't get money. And they were just stunned and they went back to lecturing. And then I taught, um, and what I was picking up turned out to be some smart guys who were saying, we got problems, right? And, and we were hearing, a lot of guys were writing about the ninja loans and the 125% mortgage and shit. So that was obvious. 
<clears throat> but there was a, a blogger named Tanta, Doris Dungy, who was blogging under the name pseudonym Tanta over at, I think, Seeking Alpha or one of those. And she was talking about the chaos under the surface of the credit markets. And there was this thing called the Market ABX Index, which is a derivatives index. And I had no real idea what it was, but it was trading at par for years. And then all of a sudden it started tailing off, which meant that it was responding to credit risk. And it was not being picked up by any of the mainstream press or anything, but Tonto was picking up on this. And I think, I'm not sure Zero Hedge was around then or not, but they might have been. Um, and uh, I can remember Zero Hedge where Zero Hedge would get, you know, 100 clicks per article. It was way, and I remember thinking, these guys are really fucking smart. And, um, and so um, then it showed up. And then it took like an eternity. If you've ever waited for a hurricane, for example, which I did once, you keep watching the weather going, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? And it took about two years to really show up in full force. And uh, for my two years later, spring semester again, we are at peak chaos at this point, 09. I'm teaching an honors thesis class where it's the seniors, the best seniors. For day one, I said, in 07, I had you guys in sophomore organic lab. I told you the banking system was gonna go down, didn't I? They said, yes, you did. And I said, did any of your economists tell you that? And they, and they, they double major in econ a lot. And they all said, no. And I said, what are those assholes paid for? And then uh, my first guest speaker, I had one class a week and I bring guest speakers. My first guest speaker was the CEO of Morgan Stanley Bank. And he came in and he gave a horror story of what was happening. He had cut his teeth on mortgage-backed securities. He had left Morgan Stanley Bank, which is the banking subsidiary of Morgan Stanley, in 06, because he said, holy shit, I have to get out of the splash zone on this one in a very big way. He said he had a, he described the leverage he had in a billion dollar portfolio. And I did some quick math and I said, you are 2 million fold levered. He said, that's about right. Holy shit. And then, and so he had no backing. It was pure leverage. It was just pure unbacked leverage. And, uh, and then he, and then he, and these were synthetic derivative. These were, these were cubes and shit. These were crazy, crazy things. There was nothing back in them either. So, so your young hodlers might not even know this, but, but what they used to do is the bond rating agencies, if, you had, if there were treasuries, you'd get a triple A rating, and if there was something else, you'd double A, and you worked down, and then there was the junk. And the bond rating agencies were being so generous that if you took some pile of garbage and you, and you put in 2% treasuries, you'd get a triple A rating. <laughs> and then what they'd do is they had these things called squares, where they would take these various tranches, these mezzanines. There was a mezzanine tranche. I can't remember the shit anymore. And they would sell the shit they could. And then they'd take the dregs at the bottom from a bunch of these. They'd pack them back together and sell that. And then they had these things called cubes, which were the third recycling of the dregs. <laughs> and they had things called CPDOs, which were... Um, which were um, were derivatives of 
what the fuck were they? They were like derivatives of derivatives. I, I can't remember. They're, they're the most absurd thing you ever heard. I'd have to look it up again. I knew what they were when, when they were happening. And so in any event, so he gave a two-hour talk to my class. And what was one of the greatest compliments I ever got was he said, so I'm sitting at the table with Dave and Brian here. Brian was, came with us. And he said, within about 20 minutes, he says, I realized I was not the smartest guy at the table. And, uh, and, then, um, and then I had come armed thinking he might come in with some bullshit. He showed one plot that was infamous plot showing the subprime crisis in, in, in living call. I brought that plot myself. And then as a credit, Swiss plot, some people might remember it. And you can see the subprime wad just coming at you. And then, uh, and then, um, and then I bought a whole bunch of other things. I said, can I, at the end, I said, can I give you my shot on what the hell's going on now? And I went, bam, 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 overheads. They were overheads to give you an idea. And, uh, and, uh, I asked, um, Rich, you like the president, the former CEO, I said, 10 years from now is New York. Is this all a distant memory or is New York look like Detroit? And he said, New York looks like Detroit. So he didn't see the Fed coming either. He saw complete destruction. And the Fed came in, various central banks, with 27 to $30 trillion of stimulus. Nice euphemism for money printing. Yeah. That's how I saved the system. They can't do that again, in my opinion. I don't think they can either. For those now without triggering hyperinflation. Yeah, exactly. For those curious at home, which destroys, which destroys societies, destroys the fabric of society. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> For those wondering at home, a CPDO is a constant proportion debt obligation. But I mean, yeah, they, they can't. So, what do you think it is this time around when they actually do go to bail? Bail out. Is it too much money in the know. system or is it a collapse in confidence by the know. populace? Like, oh, we're doing this again. Because I, I don't know. Because actually, I recorded a podcast right before, hopped on with you on the weekly shows that I do. We brought up a clip from 2008 of the uh, IndyMac bank run. Uh, oh, I remember that one. Yeah. And it was just astonishing being like, oh, this was not that long ago. And it wasn't like a prototypical bank run. In the U.S., when when, you, when, you, when when Geithner and these guys are combining mega banks together to try to come up with a functional system, I mean that's a weird world. Yeah, I was sitting with the assistant provost of Harvard in my office during the peak, and he somehow realized that I wanted him to speak frankly, and he said, "We don't know how we're going to make payroll, Harvard." They got a $40 billion endowment, but it wasn't liquid. No. I mean, that gets back to this idea of moneyness. Yeah, I mean, this is the lesson. I go back to the real estate funds right now, people. And they're finding out in real time how illiquid real estate is, particularly environment of rising rates. Yeah, go take a, take a vacation down in Turks and Caicos. Look at all the buildings that are half built on the islands. Mm. Just drive. All these, there's all these monuments. Drive down the street here in Austin. It's the same thing. Facebook just pulled out of the the skyscraper that they were in the process of building. 
Really? Yeah. Well, the Ithaca Mall is a ghost town. It's not as big a loss as we're talking about, but there's something so depressing about going into the Ithaca Mall and seeing 20% occupancy and having the sense that this is not because we created something better. It's not Amazon. It just, I don't think Amazon's better. I've made the argument many times, Sears Robot Catalog was as cool as Amazon. Um, when I drive by on some highway somewhere or something, some back, I mean, pseudo highways, the ones that, you know, have intersections occasionally, so through the Adirondacks or whatever, and I see some boarded up diner, Linda's diner or whatever, it really digs into my soul because that was someone's dream. Someone really desperately put all their sort of sanity on this is my diner. I've, 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 uh, I've died and gone to heaven. I've, my, I'm finally living the dream. I've got my own diner and there it is boarded up. And, and that certainly that's what the lockdown did. And that looked like a controlled demolition to me. It looked like it was absolutely intentional. Oh, I mean, the arbitrary nature of the who was, yes. who was essential. Yeah, and shockingly, the big the S and P five hundred companies were essential. That was a complete hostile takeover of mom and pop. <laughs> Airlines were essential. Where you pack people in like sardines. It's. And, uh, I mean, that, that that that's another point in the basket of this thing being nefarious. Like, right? How do you gain more control? You destroy the backbone of the society, small businesses. Right. And what was extremely sad is that everybody stood by and let it happen. And not only that, but uh, publicly lambasted. Well, I, I remember watching it, and there was a lot of, there was just nothing you could do. Well, that's, going back to like locality, we escaped Brooklyn, went to South Jersey down by the southern tip of Cape May. Down there, you wouldn't have. I have a friend down there. I have another friend down there. Restaurants were open. Yeah, they had the stupid plexiglass dividers, but they stayed open. No masks. You go up to Maine or something, you'd never know there was a pandemic. Yeah. Um, in a podcast one day, I said, if it ever gets really ugly, I'm going to go find some place where everyone's toothless, and they all <laughs> voted for Trump, and and just hang out there. And some guy. And the comments section said, well, Dave, I live in one of those places and you're assuming that you'd be welcome. Yeah, at least. And I'm going, yeah, that's a good point you make there, dude. It's part of the reason I uh, stuck down to Texas as well. I mean, What's your wife do? She's stayed home. She's mother. just a mom? Yeah. Yeah. Um. In these trying times. In these trying times. And they haven't even started to be. The other thing about this particular downturn is we've never entered a downturn so pissed off at the world. Right. Right. This one, normally you're euphoric, right? Dot com. Everyone thought the world was just absolutely, you know, Skittles, rainbows, and sunshine. Roaring 20s. Everyone's fucking mad, right? Great Gatsby. Everyone's mad. As a basal level of anger at the top, what's the bottom going to look like? That's a good question. 
Yeah, I mean, is this the catalyst for revolution people have been talking about? I don't know. See, the question, the only thing about revolutions is that the question is, what are you fighting for? The Civil War, there was kind of the Mason-Dixon line, you know, there were there was a, a dotted line that was a fight. Well, that's why I think we as gold bugs and Bitcoiners, I think that's the narrative to lean into is, hey, all this strife and all these problems are happening because we fucked up the money. Like, we need to get back to the core of the problem. No question, no question. Fix the money. And that's something to rally no around, question. help people recognize. And I got a bullish yeah. depressionary. I got a bullish case in a depression for Bitcoin too, which is emerging, which is emerging markets. So, so you mean you move there? Or? No, it's just the demand for the utility that Bitcoin provides. Got it. Stokes enough. I, I've, I, as we've said a million times, as I've said a million times, I have my concerns. But to no, by no stretch of the imagination do I cackle at the hodlers. And, I mean, we're, the gold bugs and the hodlers are really kissing cousins. <laughs> we are. And, and what you guys get out of convenience of being able to just use a key, we get out of 5,000 years of history. So you could call it a wash. You know, if you were to spin up, you can make this happen. I could actually create an account for you. And as people... You don't know how many of you, you wackadoodles have offered that. Not a bit. So, so for this particular <laughs> podcast, if people are listening around the world, there's some new podcasting apps that have Bitcoin wallets in them. And as people listen, they just stream me little bits of Bitcoin. And it's set up in a way yep. where if you had an address... I could put your address in. I could say, hey, send 40% to Marty, 40% to Dave, 10% to my quiet producer in the corner, and 10% uh, and to a charity of my choice, and it happens automatically. So that's inherent utility. That's kind of a Bitcoin-based Patreon. Yes, but it's automatic, and it goes to a wallet I control. There's no Patreon or stripe or visa to say uh i right, like that right. dave was no saying middle, no middleman yeah, yeah no middleman dave said that we uh um, we should hang fauci let's not let him get his money it can't happen here well i i bet that would get me a lot of money um i was talking to a podcaster who's been doing it for a long time and i said where's your revenue come from i mean there's a lot of you guys squealing to capture the the ears of the world. And the good news is mainstream media is holding the door wide open for you. So, um, as I said many, many years ago, actually, when, 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 when the free market breaks, black markets appear. And that's true with the free market of ideas. So when the free market of ideas got fractured, which it very much did, the black market of ideas emerged. And, uh, and, uh, but I was talking to him about revenue streams, and he was actually rather specific. It's some percentage of his revenues is just people sending him a check. He says he averages about 100 bucks a week, averages. But just someone sending him a check saying thanks. Yeah, it happens here a lot. Too. Not, by the way, anyone listening, I'm game. Send me a check. Um, well, why send you a check? Review, I said, uh, they could make it easier. Lower the barrier to entry. 
Get an I account. Know. I'll put I in know. your I'll put in your address and it'll just go to you automatically. I know. I should take you. I've had I've I've had podcasters tell me I could make a half a million a year podcasting. Oh, you easily could. Oh, that just just seems outlandish to me. It's not. Um, not saying it. Not trying to say that <laughs> I'm doing that here. I uh, the podcast is one revenue stream. I have the newsletter and a couple of other. I'm a big uh, increase the number of revenue streams you have kind of guy. Well, I was talking to I was talking to a podcaster this fall, and he said he was hoping to clear two million this year. Yeah, there's lots to there's a lot to do that. See, we're more selective with our advertisers here. Where I could I could I probably I could probably <laughs> there you won't hear them they get read before before the podcast. Oh. But no, I'm very sorry. I could easily probably make two million if I were to lower my standards and my morals and, and take some, some of the crypto money. I'd give blowjobs for $2 million. <laughs> Yeah, my standards would go to zero for $2 million. I'm just too lazy. I'm just too... You could... I, I'm fine. I'm, I have so many people telling me ways to monetize myself. And uh, I just like chatting. You can get paid for coming on this podcast. If you just do the huh. setup, I could split it to you and send it. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to it, I think the emergency. Cramp, it cramps my brain. It's a, it's a generational gap. And it's just, it's gold you can send over the internet. I know. I have this image that there could be some f moment where the flash of do it now will hit, go into my skull. This is the most bullish I've ever heard you. No, I've said that before. I've said that before. Hmm. But I don't know what people say, you know, what, like Jeff Booth and uh, who's the other guy? Cornell guy. Enthusiastic homers. Lavish. Um, James Lavish, yeah, is he I, now? yeah, I know Lavish. Um, Larry Lapard, he's a gold bug. I, well, he's also. I spent two hours getting the Bitcoin story out of Larry. I love Larry. Um, Larry's at lunch. He's a sweetheart. Um, but in any event, uh, it's like what price would would be an entry point for you? And I go, it's not price. It's some historical moment where I go, it's time. It should have been the truckers freezing of the bank accounts. No, it'll be the moment in time when I'm convinced that they can't shut you down. I'm I'm still not convinced they can't shut you down. How are they going to shut me down? I mean, they can kill me. They might try well, to. So, so the question I always go back to is if they say, look, spending Bitcoin is punishable by 10 years in jail. Who's going to use it? Again, go back to emerging markets. There. Well, that is the answer. So, um, and then I'm still going to use it because they're not going to know how I'm, I'm not, using it. But it would really put a squeeze on the potential long-term prospects for Bitcoin if they declare war against you. So yeah. far, they have not. 
I don't know. I don't think these people have a leg to stand on anymore. I think we have a better narrative as well. Especially if the system's collapsing, they'll exactly. be in a weak position. Exactly. I mean, they're already... I mean, could you imagine financial collapse, recession, COVID stuff becomes undeniable, the jab, uh, adverse effects, real estate's not what it used to be, boomers going to retire, <laughs> getting their retirement cut by 50% right. or more. That's something I worry right. about. Not for me personally, but people in my life. Many are right. retiring this year. It's like, holy fuck. But what I can tell you is there's a psychological effect when you retire where the minute you don't have a revenue stream, you get panicky about how much, whether your money will hold out. My dad was well off. He's 85 years old, greatest generation kind of guy. And he makes some reference to if my retirement saving holds out. And I said, Dad, you can go batshit. You can live the good life. There's no way your retirement money's not going to hold out. But it, it's psychologically, once you retire, once you have no revenue stream, you go, after this, you starve. Yeah. That is, that rattles a lot of cages. There's a lot of people who don't understand that retiring means coming to terms with that idea. Well, I think that's a product of our modernity too. It shouldn't, it wasn't always that way because you were able to depend on well, your, you kids. Live with your kids. Yeah. yeah. We may go back to that because we have, we have all these McMansions that who's going to buy them. I plan on going back to that. Already. Obviously, I don't. Yeah, I don't think, you know. So, Brett Weinstein in his book talks about the life expectancy of humans. And he says that, um, he says there's, there's a biological advantage to living long enough to be a grandparent because the grandparents do all these things for the parents, including teaching them how to be parents, taking care of the kids while the parents are out in the field, you know, things like that. Great grandparents, no need. So his thesis is, is that we evolved to make it through grandparent, grandparent, but not really further. And my kids, just have, used to my kids have one great grandparent left and all their grandparents. And I, I mean, we were just so unlucky. My wife and I, our parents are close, knew each other. We're not exactly an arranged marriage, but we've known each other our whole lives. Our families know each other and, when we go home. So when did you first meet your wife? Uh, when I first met her, it was probably, I had it like before I was 10. Oh, okay. I never, I didn't really start hitting were, on her. Until I was high, like, high school? No, she's a bit older than me. I started hitting on her when I was 17. Okay. I was, I was too young for her then. And then uh, she relented when I turned 21. Oh, I see. Yeah. So she didn't want to get thrown in jail for pedophilia or something. Yeah, could have crossed that line at one point. Uh, yeah, well, my wife's older than me too, but I was thirty when we got serious. Yeah. It's really funny. I dated a girl for eight years. We never once talked about getting married. My wife and my old girlfriend met each other before I ever met my wife. And I remember my girlfriend came home and said, uh, 
I met Candace Cornell today. She's Ezra Cornell's great, great, great granddaughter. What I found out after the fact is this is the funniest part. They did not get along at all. <laughs> when did you find that out? Years later. After you were happily married. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it's good. I mean, the point I was trying to make, yeah, we were just home. My parents, her parents for two weeks and Brett Weinstein's theory plays out quite well. Right. Teaching us how to parent, letting us go, <laughs> go out yeah. to dinner while watching the kids. I'd like to, to make that commonplace again. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was pretty normal for me growing up. I'm probably lucky. Come from a big Irish Catholic family. My mom's one of eight, very close to the brothers and sisters. And when her parents alive, her parents. We had friends whose families were tight like this, and the families used to go on ski trips together. So if they're affluent, and uh, the four parents were on a ski trip in the plane crash, and they all died. Oh shit! And this was this was a family that you know these families grew up together their whole life, and somehow they all died. All four parents died. That's pretty fucked. I mean, that's funny. Because yeah. we went, we went on a ski trip. My wife, her sister, a couple of my cousins, and their parents. Just got back on Wednesday. It's uh, hmm. no, it is something that you talk. We talk about, talk about participation rate. Hmm. Money fucking up everything. Like, should the participation rate be fifty fifty? Should we be be able to get back to? A single parent income family where no child rearing and I don't think so. It was a unique period in history. We got we were the single parent industrial world. So there was the agrarian society of the nineteenth century. Then we get into the twentieth century and and the idea that dad could go off and work in a shoe store and come home and put food on the table while mom stayed home with the kids is not imaginable now, right? It just, you, there would be no food on the table. That was a period in our history where we controlled 80% of global GDP. So our affluence was just unimaginable. And so, you know, you'd go to a gas station, there'd be three attendants. And so, as we became less prosperous, we became more efficient at using labor. But um, no, I don't think we ever get back to the wife stays home and the husband goes off and works or vice versa or whatever. Well, it would be dependent on more prosperity, which doesn't come back, especially in the digital age where everything's made. Taiwan, South well, Korea. Digital, yeah. Well, it also, it does open up the Zoom from home economy. So, I don't know. <clears throat> this is a ponderous talk we're doing here. It is. I mean, it's important to ponder these types of things. <laughs> right. Right. I know. The fact that you post it on the internet is an ancillary detail. You know, it's just a... Um, yeah. Um, I, want, I wonder if the foursome that, that I blew off to do your podcast, I wonder if they did a threesome or if they postponed it. 
I never actually got an answer for when I said I can't do it on Friday. Would you have rather done the foursome? Than you? No. It would have been more fun. Not that you're not fun, but the foursome's raucous. But you know, I promised you first. Well, I, I wouldn't have liked that. Well, at least we could say you're a man of your word, which is... Well, the other thing is, if you were some meatball who I didn't know really well, but we've done a lot of podcasts, and so we go back a ways. We'll do many more. Yeah. Many more. We'll be old men. You'll be kind of old, and I'll be real fucking old. I'm already balding, so well, feeling old. Not yeah, yeah. That's um, that. But uh, hopefully, we'll get through. Be great to get to a period where we're all bullish again. I'm always bullish. Not me. Yeah. I used to be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to harp on Bitcoin too much, but being in the space and just building, there's there's so much to do. You talk about Bitcoin and energy. Maybe that that helps create a floor. Energy producers are able to use excess capacity, excess natural gas. Utilities are able to use excess capacity and mine Bitcoin, supplement their revenue streams, maybe temper prices a little bit. Um, so when, um, when there's no more mining, that's how many years from now? When's that occur? 2140 is the, uh, the popular date that people throw out there. That's so, that's so far away. Who the fuck cares? Yeah, but also 99% of Bitcoin will be mined by 2035. Oh. So it'll take like 100 years for the last 1% to get distributed to the network. So that's, an, that's essentially a non-contributor. Yeah. What's the, what, what's the break-even price right now for Bitcoin where the cost to mine it, and I know it's a furry line, but where the cost to mine it is too high? To pay for the, to get the Bitcoin. I'm pulling up a chart now. So it depends. It depends. It depends on the cost of your energy. Of your electricity. So the, the top of the line uh, mining machine right now, the S19 XP, uh, it's break even electricity price is 12 cents a kilowatt hour. And the oldest. What are we at now? What are we at now? I don't know what the. Yeah, it depends. Like the natural gas I use is three or four cents so that's okay. very profitable with that uh on grid so do you have a bunch you have a bunch of servers you have a server bank or what yeah I have a are bunch they of yours or do you do you buy into some organization that has servers they're mine so uh, they're in your house worrying away no they're in uh in Appalachia, we call it moonshine mining. We go find stranded natural gas wells with no pipeline connectivity, hook up a generator, and then hook up the miners in that. Where's the, the best place to mine? Some places like Iceland or something? Where, where, where's the, where, where's the, where would be the hub of Bitcoin mining, the cheapest energy imaginable? <sighs> I am, you know, stranded natural gas is pretty dirt cheap, especially if there's no pipeline connectivity and go scoop those up for pennies on the dollar. They'll produce for... right. Decades. So one point up in Canadian natural gas, for example, would have been a good place. And maybe yes, um, Russia, Russia, Paraguay's got a a burgeoning Bitcoin mining industry. They have 
gigawatts of excess hydropower that they're not using that they're able to sell to miners for three to four cents a kilowatt hour. <coughs> um, Texas is blowing up. I don't know if it's the cheapest energy, but uh, there's a lot of hash rate down here. North Dakota, Wyoming. I'm partial. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping. I'm kind of hoping that the cost of energy is going to get so fucking high because I own energy companies, right? Yeah, I want them to make a lot of money. Well, again, oil and gas, particularly right now, it's weird. Uh, lack of supply on the oil end, but an overabundance on the nat gas side, um, which could continue, especially if people keep drilling, pipelines don't get built for the nat gas. That can make your energy stocks extremely profitable if they sell the oil as the price is rising and then mine Bitcoin with the, the natural gas that they can't move instead of flaring it or venting it. Mm -hmm. Are you nuclear bull? Nuclear bull? What's that mean? Do you think I we, know nuclear. Do you think we wise up and actually begin spinning up more reactors? Oh, nu am I a nuclear bull? I think say nuclear bull, like a one word. And I'm going, I'm, I don't know if I can be nuclearized, but um, <coughs> I'm investing in nuclear. So I, I, I wrote last year in 2021, that um, I said, if you dig dark into my dark conspiracy mind, I could imagine a scenario where the guys at the top realize that we're going to run out of energy. And that they might not want to wait for every last person one at a time to wake up to this reality. And so I said, the solution to that would be to have a engineered energy crisis. I said, I think one's coming, mark my words. Then all of a sudden 2022 showed up and I go, oh, that was a pretty good fucking call. Very prescient. Right. And that's exactly the word. And so, um, which is why I was kind of bullish on energy. And uh, Gehring and Rosenschweig is a two-man operation that specializes in buying small cap uranium miners and shit like that. The weird stuff that would be very hard to invest in. And I hate to use a good year as evidence that it was a good idea because that means nothing to me, but it, it, it was a good idea for 2022. Um, and uh, I mean, even if you look at the uranium ETFs in 2021, they were doing pretty well. Yeah, uranium seemed to be getting a tailwind, but um, I'm in it for a real long haul. So if what got into the market today, by the way? It got into one of these algo-driven roid rages. What was that today? I don't know. So Dow's up 700, right? So it looks like one of these things where some the computer just grabbed a hold of it and ran like crazy. Some Fed official probably said something. Well, it could have been a, some jobs report. I mean, jobs report came out job. yesterday. But... Right. But the markets dipped into a slightly red territory at the start of the day and then just never looked back. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything here. Yeah, Zero Hedge will have an article on it. Um, and 
So I beat the markets last year. I was slightly green. You know, inflation adjusted. I still lost money, which is the evils of inflation. Yeah. Um, And uh, you have to inflation correct. I think uranium had a good day today. I just checked one share price. It's up 7%. The uh, Germany and nuclear, they seem to be mm-hmm. holding to the Green Party there. I think the Green Party came out this week. It was like, yeah, we'll extend the power plants for a few months, but we're still going to go forward with decommissioning them over the next many years. That's surreal. Why is nuclear not green? People scream Sharonbol Fukushima, but they really weren't as bad as as marketed, from what I understand. That's right, and and they are also very old. Yeah, I mean this goes into the manufactured energy crisis. It seems like right. Germany's been manufacturing one for two decades with the decommissioning of coal, nuclear, in favor of wind. And solar. The other oddity is Australia is the largest producer of coal, and they've decommissioned all their coal power plants. Yeah. <laughs> so the largest producer's got a grid problem. Yeah, and this goes back to the potential color revolution seeded by somebody like China, where they want to get the West on their knees and they seed all this woke bullshit, spin down your coal plants, your nuclear plants. Send the world green. Meanwhile, we're going to spin up gigawatts of capacity using these. Well, sources. the way I described that this year is, is I made a connection that was somewhat artificial, but I still liked it. Where China is selling us gobs and gobs of solar panels and using the proceeds to build nuclear power plants. Yeah. And Why not just hang on to your solar panels, guys? The answer is because they don't believe they're worth a shit. No. And then you can throw an ESG rating on them here in the states and completely disregard the. The Uyghur slave labor that goes into it, all the coal. Solar panels are really coal panels at the end of the day. And, And, you know, green electric batteries are on the backs of of slaves in the Congo. And, you know, the the sanctimony industrial complex drives me nuts. I think they, I think 2022 was a year that they took a big hit, ESG particularly. And I think the energy crisis really drove it home, like, I think COVID didn't help either because they they were on the wrong side of that one too. Yeah. Right. They were the ones who thought we should all be shot if we don't vaccinate. Yeah. And Tesla's having a tough, tough month right now. I think people are beginning to wake up like, ah, this EV revolution is not what it's chopped up to be. I I just, well, I just don't think we have, We've identified the source of all the materials that you need to make the batteries no. to do this electric world. No, it's literally impossible. Well, there might be reserves out there we don't know about, but it's impossible based on the known reserves. Well, there is a cobalt reserve in Maine on a mountain up there, but it'll never be mined. It's, it's highly protected. I read about that not too long ago. Yes. Yeah, and so the Greens want to protect the green without actually getting the cobalt out that would run their green cars. Yes, it's very uh, contradictory. So here's a book for you. And if you read my introduction, you, you already got it, but the, the True Believer by Eric Hoffer. Yeah, this was very, very fascinating. 
you should read the book. It's very short. It's an easy read and it's just brilliant. But as you saw, I basically laid out the message of the book because I just didn't want to leave it to the fucking reader to go get off their butts and read it. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to blow the plot and tell you what's in it. And, uh, just a brilliant book. Yeah. And it, it explains climate change and green revolutions and ESGs and, and, and the DNC and everything else under the sun. Yeah. Human psychology is fascinating. Right. As psychosis. Especially mob psychology. Yeah. Mob psychology. Well, I think we're going to get a good lesson on that if we uh, roll into a recession or a depression here. I think the mobs are going to be spun up and uh, right. <laughs> clear things. We'll thinking. say, look, you guys, you starve to death over here, and we're going to all use this technology to save our bacon. The the, the hypocrisy of the um, of the woke is always breathtaking to me. Oh, I mean, it's blatant. They just. They just don't seem to understand how absurd they look. No. You know, bring in transgender athletes to destroy women's sports, right? Yeah. Well, that's why. I've thought about this. Ignore nuclear energy, you know. So I I don't know if I should say this, but fuck it. I sit on the board of a publicly traded company in Canada. And I thought if the uh, ESG woke mob... It comes to our board is like, hey, you need you need a woman. We don't currently have any woman on the board. I would identify as one. And who are they to tell me? Especially if you get a prison term. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. I'm a, I'm a lesbian woman with two children that I did not birth. Is that too outlandish? You identify, but you they don't identify as children, so you're okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, we're joking here, but that's the ease with which you can hold the mirror up and be like, all right, if you're letting anybody do this, I'm going to do it. And who are you to tell me that I can't do it? Right. It does not compute with what you're telling everybody else. Uh, This has been fascinating. Another three hour rip. Sick. This is your flu game. I'm, I think this was my flu game. Yeah, it was calmer. I think you performed very well. Well, I'm, my wife was saying you can't do it. And I said, no, it calms me down. One time I, uh, I gave a group meeting talk as an undergrad. I was hung over to beat all hell. And my boss said, that was your best talk. I said, I was so hung over. I couldn't, couldn't overplay it. And uh, so I don't know. I drove the your viewing audience crazy with my camera moving all over, but oh, you're fine. my dogs, my dogs come in into the game. Your dog has a good, a good dog. your dog has a good snoring cadence. Seemed very comfortable. Well, so Chris Irons always tells me how my, how loud my dog is when I listen to the podcast. Okay, Charlie, give them give everybody a good view of what a fucking Boston Terrier. Now she's a tiny little mother. Turns out she is, uh, oops, she is only 12 pounds, but she's got the heart of a lion. And she's wondering what the hell is going on right now. She's only, like two, to, she's only like two years old. You, get, you scooped up both of them recently, right? Uh, 
One's a year older. The other one, yeah. he's a big tank. He's 30 pounds. Yeah. And so he's a, he thinks he's a full-blown bulldog instead of just part bulldog. But the Boston's, I, I highly recommend them to anyone who wants a dog. The Boston Terriers are amazing. I've had labs and all sorts of dogs, but the, these Boston's are somehow different. Less high maintenance than a French bulldog? Oh, I think the French bulldogs are tricky. I think they're, I think they pose problems. These are half French bulldog. Their, their, their or origination is a bulldog, a French bulldog and a terrier. And, uh, and, uh, these guys have a little bit of cat in them or something. <laughs> well, there, it's like, there's this little strict stretch of independence in them. So you call them and they look at you, you're going, and they're looking at you going, yeah, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Where's the Labrador? You call them, they go, sure. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, a little French kissing there, buddy. Oh. I'm not sure I would eat all that. She's into it right now. They, they sleep under the covers. Yeah, they like I would say 90% of the Boston Terriers sleep under the covers. Yeah, I have a French bulldog in the family, and he likes to do that too. Like the burrow. Yeah, the burrowers. Yeah. And they go right for the crotch. Yeah. Well, it's time to roll over. You can really find yourself tangled up in dog. <laughs> My wife, I, we were talking about getting the third one. We have a lab right here, too. We got a tank down there. There she is somewhere. Oh, chocolate. Yeah, yeah. And um, we had four dogs at one point, but um, my wife says, she said, I don't think we should get a third dog. And what I didn't tell her is I already put down the, the money for it. <laughs> now, it's an option to buy the dog. <clears throat> so we can take possession at any point. So we're at the top of the list. We can, any litter that comes along, boom, we can nail it. So I just have to wait for the right time and say, would you like one now? Maybe. And, first uh, in line. That's what, uh, we're first in line. Yeah. We're dealing with rolling over on children in our bed right now. I brought up the prospect of getting a dog. It's too early. Oh, kids need dogs. Do they? Oh yeah. All right, I'm gonna make my oh, wife, yeah. I'm gonna make my wife listen to this part of the podcast. No, no, absolutely. And the other thing is, when you lose a dog, you should go out the next day and get another dog. That seems psychotic. Why would you? No, no. When you when you have a dog die and you're you, there's this gigantic hole in your life. We had a dog die unexpectedly. And the next day we went to a Saturday movie matinee, just to get out of the house. And I grabbed a newspaper off the stand. I opened it up and I said, come on, we're going down to Binghamton. There's a litter of, of, um, of lab puppies. We went down, we picked one out. They weren't ready for like four days. They were supposed to get shots or something. I said, we want them now. We'll pay for the, the rest of the shots. They said, yeah, sure, whatever. We, we brought her home. You cannot be unhappy with a lab puppy. There's just no mechanism that you could ever be. You got a lab puppy. There's no mechanism you could ever be unhappy. Saw a lab puppy on our family walk this morning. Uh, looked like a Christmas present. The guy was very happy. Yeah. He was walking it. Everybody was walking up you the can't, hill. You cannot be happy. Any puppy, right? One time I was in the bank with an Irish setter puppy, and guy said, I once had a puppy like that. And I said, what happened? He said, he became a dog. 
Yeah, I kind of know that drill too. So, um, so we're in the queue. I've already paid the money for the next Boston Terrier. My wife doesn't know it. She might be able to hear you now. Well, if she does, she can. She now knows it, but I don't think so. She never listens to my podcasts. She she'd just bitch at me if she if, if she ever listened to my podcast. She'd go through and edit them and say, "You shouldn't have said this. You should do this. You know, stop wiggling. You know that sort of shit." Yeah, I, I go. Who invited you? <laughs> my wife has stopped listening to the podcast as well. Her excuse right. is, "I have to listen to you all day when you're at home. Why the hell would I listen to you when you're not at home?" Right. There must be an occasional podcast where you say, you got to listen to this one. Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah. It'll be this one, um, particularly the first half of the conversation. Yeah. It seems to me like we've just been talking. <laughs> Usually the podcasts are following some bang, bang, bang script. And no. you and I just chat. You and I just chatted. Well, not ours maybe, but we just chatted. And that, that's fine. Um or that's the way I like it to flow. I've read uh, the no, year in review. I know. I feel like I know who you are. How you think? Did I provide useful information on Ukraine? Because that was the core. I mean, yeah, I think. I mean, I'm 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 picking up what you're putting down. I recorded with the serious report, um, Lyndon Paul, in the beginning of the year, right when it was blowing up, and he made me privy to like the build up, the CIA involvement, like Mulland and. Like the, 20, oh, yeah. the 2014 color revolution that we incited. Um, That's right. And I've had a lot. You mentioned uh, Baltic states in the year in review too. And I've had, uh, I do a quarterly podcast with a friend of mine, Liz in Lafia, and he's got the anti-Russia view and I've taken that into consideration and I respect the hell out of him. But they, still, they, they can't, they can't shake that as the problem. So I, I had a friend on Saturday mornings, I get together with this, I call them the rednecks and we chat about stuff. And um, one of them has a, a Ukrainian wife and he's lived in Ukraine for several years and stuff like that. He, he can't see clearly. Now he's got lots of facts, but he thinks, for example, that the 2014 coup was a grassroots coup. Now, George Friedman of Stratford said it was the most blatant engineered coup in history, right? But this guy thinks it was, he says, you really think you get 100,000 people, you know, protesting in the street? You think you can engineer that? And I said, I absolutely think you can engineer that. I think it's trivial. All I got to do is get to the leaders and bribe them. That's how it works. Yeah, what was that square called? Where they camped out? I don't remember. Yeah. Made on. Yeah, made, made him. him maybe. Made yeah, him. yeah, made him. Yeah, and then again, going like the Hunter's laptop thing too. That's the smoking gun where people in mainstream refuse to go down. Like there's obvious corruption, pay to play. What per, what percentage of the people in this country? Forget about the ones who don't even know who's president. Leave those guys out. But you know the guys who pay attention to the world a little bit. What percentage do you think think the laptop is fake? Do you think anyone is duped? No. I mean, the, the, the pictures are videos of him smoking crack. It's hard to deny that that's not Hunter Biden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's Facebook. Uh, 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 
uh, uh, page maker, not page maker. Come on, come on, come on. In any event, fuck it. I feel sick and I'm, it's not coming to me. Um, the press is so bad. Yeah. And the government. The press is really awful. And, the, and you highlighted this in part two, like the inability of the press or any of the Western leaders to even open the door for uh, like a, a peaceful end to this. The ceasefire that was proposed oh, yeah. earlier this week. It's no, we're doubling down, tripling down. We need to get into World War Three, which is we are willing to kill every last Ukrainian to give Russia grief. So, we do not care about the Ukrainians no. at all. But we're, we have flags in our profile pictures, though. We do care. Waving. I read a write-up on the fake moon landing. I got to tell you, it was kind of interesting. You know, I've always thought, no, we flew to the moon. But there's always been one thing that always bugged me. And that is that the flag shouldn't be waving. Yeah. That always bothered me. And, and this article went through all the problems with the moon landing. And I said, you know, it's really interesting because there really are a bunch of shit that doesn't add up. They got to the moon in a tin can, essentially. That's what they want you to believe. Right. And they got back. And they had radio communications. <laughs> and Right. I mean, this goes back to Stanley Kubrick. Have you ever dove into the, the Shining as one big admission? that he helped uh, manufacture the moon landing. Right. So, so wag the dog sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so if you had to guess yes or no, because I never would have entertained the idea, but then one day I, I read a serious rap. Some guy sent me an email one day and said, if I swear, if you read this guy's stuff, you will realize the, the world is not round. It's flat. And I'm sitting going, dude, here's the problem. I'm going to waste my time reading this bullshit. If by some mechanism he convinces me the world's flat, he will destroy my life. <laughs> so there's no chance I'm reading about the flat world. Yeah, I don't think the Thomas earth's flat. Friedman, Thomas Friedman aside. <laughs> no, I've, um, I've ventured into the flat earth. It uh, has not convinced me. Moon landing. I what could... about this R R Randall Carson guy? Who's that? He's the guy who thinks that there was civilized life here, you know, 15 years Oh, Randall years Carlson. Ago. Yeah. Carlson. Yeah. And, um, and why is his name escaping me? Randall Carlson and, uh, there's another one. Graham Hancock. Right. Yes. This idea that civilization kind of got scrubbed from the surface of the earth. I believe it. Okay. Uh, there's no way the Egyptians built the pyramids. There's no way these disparate societies, globally distributed, built very similar structures um, with very detailed and specific alignment with the stars without having some sort of interconnected advance civilization at one point. I think yeah, civilization's much older than 12,000 years old. I think it's tens of so thousands. So it's just, do you think it's a standard... We we were way ahead of our time, or or do you buy into the whole uh, 
alien beings came up and showed us how to do shit because I, I have trouble with that part. Uh, I think we... Uh, I wanna be, uh, no, I don't know about the aliens. I do think... Randall Carlson, think Randall Carlson specifically and Graham Hancock will claim that... Um, we just the, were, were very advanced and it got squeegeed. And yeah, there was a meteor that hit up above Canada and caused like a great flood. And they bring it back to the flood stories in the Bible and other right. uh, religions throughout history. That seemed to be oddly coincidental. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Because if you yeah, if up in Washington State, they take like a drone and go like a mile above the earth and you see like what looks like erosion, but <coughs> on a scale of cities. So there had to be this massive flood. Interesting. Yeah. That's that's actually wow. that's my favorite podcast of all time is Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson on Joe Rogan like a decade ago. I watched at least part of it. I don't remember if I hung tough the whole way. I got to go watch the Brett Weinstein one though, right? That's the must-watch Rogan last week. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, this week a couple days ago. Um, I mean, it just completely undresses the. I had a long chat with Eric Weinstein. Stein. That family is no has no shortage of brains. No, I'm not a big fan of gauge theory, though. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an opinion on that, but there's no there's no stupid in that family. No. I'm being summoned by somebody, but I don't know if it's me or the dogs. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, it's the dogs. We should probably go anyways. I'll, I'll say hi to my wife. All right, you go take care of your I wife. Yeah. Are you allowed to give neck rubs, or is it don't no. touch it? Oh, okay. No, it's she's in a she's in a Miami Miami J collar, and oh. and then and then just to make it really interesting, about six days after she broke it, she fell again and smacked the back of her head. <laughs> and I'm sitting going, oh my god! And she's on blood thinners and shit, so she could have all sorts subdurals. Okay, but the dog's Here's out. my wife. Let <laughs> me say hi. Hi, he's hi. not helping. <laughs> Hope you're feeling okay. Yeah, she can't hear you because of the headphones. Yeah. Well, relay the message for me. I will. I will. Dave. Okay. I'm going to let you go. Thank you for doing what you do. Fun. You too. We'll do it again. Looking for truth. Looking for truth. We're going to find it one day, maybe. Well, we know it when we find it. We'll find out. All right. I don't know. Adios. Peace and love, freaks.